And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Hello and welcome to The Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we watch and discuss the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I am Dylan Cuellar. I'm Jana Gardner. And I'm Nick Fulton. And today we'll be discussing Anthony Hopkins and the Father. Oh, wait, that wasn't <laughs> the plan. <laughs> oh no. I'm so sorry. Um, dun, dun, dun. Shut it down. Yeah. No, you don't even say sorry. It's just like, all right, good night. <laughs> Podcast over. See you later. The Oscars is accepting Acad- uh, Anthony Hopkins Academy yeah. Award. <laughs> we decided to not let him zoom in, despite us zooming in. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. We don't let him into our Zoom. Uh, yeah, that was not the best bit. Okay. <laughs> well, today is actually a special day for us. Well, for me. For today is the day of Ozu. And Floating Weeds specifically. Floating Weeds tells the story of a traveling acting troupe arriving at an island to perform for the next year. We soon discover that one of the inhabitants on the island is more than what she seems to the troop leader, his old mistress with whom he'd fathered a son with, who doesn't know his true parentage. The troop's leader's current mistress is upset when she learns about this and becomes jealous, asking a young and pretty actress in the troop to seduce, to seduce the son to get back at the troop leader. And while that description may sound very dramatic and very soap opera-y, the film itself is anything but. Um, the film stars Gajiro Nakamura as the troop leader, Michiko Kyo as the actress and current mistress, Hiroshi Kowagachi as Nakamura's son, Haruko Sugimura as his old mistress, and Ayo Wakao as the young actress sent to seduce the son. So, that is... Uh, Floating weeds. Uh, what do we have to discuss about this movie? Because not a lot happens in it. Well, do you want to give everyone a little background of your your journey, how you came to the recording of this week's podcast, and what what you've been doing to prepare for it? That maybe goes above and beyond what anyone's ever done to prepare for a podcast. Okay, well, I think it would have been really funny if you would have watched <laughs> all the Ozu movies and then just forgot to watch this one. <laughs> Saved it for last and then been like, whoops. Yeah. No, I... Like, I, I had... It's Sunday morning. You're like, <laughs> what did I forget to do? Did I read the re- Ebert essay? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I didn't <laughs> watch the movie. <laughs> to watch Floating Weeds. Uh, no, luckily I did remember it. Um, so I, over the past month, watched all 35 uh, Ozu films that he has released that are currently surviving. So maybe at some point in my life, if they find a, a super duper print of one of those... Uh, older films i'll get to add a new os to the list but as it stands now um i have seen all of them um uh, and i rewatched all the ones i had seen previously which i think was four or five i really hadn't seen a lot of ozu coming into today but it was just the ones that i had seen were so affecting to me that um he had been one of my favorite directors and i could safely say after the the rewatch that and all the all the watches that uh that uh that is confirmed for me <laughs> for sure um i don't really know where to talk about with the 35 movies i saw so i want i want to turn it over to nick who has seen a, a nice conciser 
history of his uh, filmography and, and what some of his favorites and uh, notes about Ozu might be. Yeah, I've seen, I think, I, I counted a couple weeks ago and I didn't recount, but it's something like a dozen, yeah. give or take, of his movies. And it's kind of a mix between um, his most famous movies, some of his black and white um, silent film, his early silent films, some of his later color films like this one. Uh, this is one of his last movies. I think he made it about four years before he died. Earlier this year, I watched um, An Autumn Afternoon, which is his very last movie, and they're all good to very good to great um i think the first one i saw was late spring but floating weeds i'd seen before years ago um and that was maybe his second or third uh movie that that i'd seen um and i can't remember why this one was on my radar as opposed to some of the other ones but the the like when i first watched him i watched late spring and tokyo story and this um all within a close time span and this one is newer it's a little bit more modern feeling it's obviously in color compared to those two um but i'm not sure like what it was that made floating weeds pop up on my radar mm-hmm. um alongside those other two instead of you know his his older black and white movies all right um do you have a specific favorite um that has stuck with you the most out of his entire filmography Oh, it's very basic, but it's Tokyo Story, and then to to a mildly lesser extent, Late Spring, which are I think it's two most uh, highly regarded movies. So not a not an exciting opinion um, I, for me on either of those. I would say you're correct because um, I was looking at the sight and sound poll to see how many he, movies he had had um, on on the latest edition, and he only had one movie in the director's poll, which was Tokyo Story, and he only had two in the critics poll which was that and late spring so it all or just in the top 50 in the top 100 because that's as far as uh oh okay i'm sure he's got votes floating around on other movies here and there um i think it said in the wikipedia that james mangold had it on his list for the directors um floating weed specifically but um yeah at least as far as the top 100 went that would that was as far as he got so I can tell you because I happen to be on the um, Sight and Sound website You're a legend, <laughs> while we were talking about this. So the films that received at least one vote um, and were Tokyo Story, Late Spring, I Was Born But, Floating Weeds, and An Autumn Afternoon. That's yeah. So. It looks like an, an, an Autumn Afternoon polled at uh, two thirty-five. So when you go to the full list, okay. it's um, two thirty-five. But I, th- I believe that Tokyo Story is number three on the critics poll but i think it was actually number one on the director's poll that is correct that is correct um who, who was throwing out uh i was born but vote <laughs> right and that's um, a that's a very good you. movie but i mean i think i did my ozu rankings um yesterday after i had completed end of summer the night before and let me see i have i was born but at 20 out of 35 <laughs> so all right um yeah it's yeah. sort of a middle of the pack movie for me yeah that's kind of where i'd have it too especially when he somewhat remade it with good morning and good morning is i think exceptional it has a i was born but it's pretty high uh it's 183 what and i was and and um good morning is only 588 what so um, 
floating the oh, so I can't figure out who voted for I was born but because I'm on like an archive I'm on the wayback machine but um float the only person who voted for floating weeds that I can see is James Mangle yeah, so okay. shout out to James Mangle yeah for seriously that. I don't recognize a, the name of a single person who voted for I was born but yeah I didn't for anyone who voted for autumn afternoon either yeah autumn afternoon deserves basically all the votes as well I would say in my book um, I will say though, um, with according to my my rankings, floating weeds is fifteen of thirty five, so it is also middle of the pack Ozu for me, um, which is interesting that uh, Raj. It's the only one that Raj has in his top one hundred, and he includes it in his top ten of all time. Yeah. So one thing I thought was interesting reading um, Roger's essay and his thoughts on the film in general and how. Um, complimentary he is of Ozu and like what a phenomenal filmmaker he is, is that this is the only Ozu film he includes in this first batch of great movies. Um, and it's not like he had some sort of rule where there's only one film oh, per no, director. No, no. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. so, there's a lot of directors, a, a handful have like two to four yeah. <laughs> films on the we're list. We're doing Bunuel's entire filmography. Basically. Yeah, pretty much. We're, we're going to do two Robert Altman movies like in a four-week span. <laughs> like He's not exactly um, too worried about that. So I just thought that was interesting because then I, I I don't know. Who, who knows, Roger? He works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Um, just one point of uh, clarification, though, is the Floating Weeds vote may have been on an older list, um, but for his 2012, he didn't include that, but he did include Tokyo Story. Oh, all right. Well, he's coming around to the good side. So. Oh, I think it might have been the O2. Yeah. Um, list. The yeah. O2 list, I think he had like Decalogue and uh, Gates of Heaven on there, which we're going to talk about next week, I believe. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And uh, I think in every book of his, of the four great movies books, he has one Ozu. I think book two is Tokyo Story, book three is Late Spring, and book four is Autumn Afternoon, which are four of my top five so that makes sense fair enough oh except for floating weeds that's uh not so three of my top five the other three he has in his uh essay collection but so Jana. yes this was your first of 35 ozu movies that you're about to uh, (laughs) watch through uh in the span of my life sure (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> I, I just made the joke yeah, yeah, the, the other day on the messenger that was like, there's a small 24 hour window between when I completed my journey and watching all every Ozu and movie when I and when start mine, Jana starts her journey to watch every Ozu movie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, what, what were your expectations I, coming into this movie? Um, I was, I was just really apprehensive, I guess, about watching it just because it feels so like, you know, and this is one of those, it's kind of like thorny to get into, but it's like, it feels so like. Oh well, you haven't seen this director, and you haven't seen these movies, uh-huh. and then it like makes you not makes you like not want to watch because it's like, well, okay, now it feels like homework. It feels like a chore, um, but it wasn't at all. Like, okay. you know, and, and, and in my experience, it almost never is. Very, very rarely, you know, there's there's a reason why his films are so well regarded, and this one in particular. Um, no, I had a great time watching it. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot more fun than I was expecting. But a lot of his films time, are very humorous. That is, yeah, very humorous and kind of like you, I think, perfectly described in your introduction. 
you read the summary and you're like, oh, it's a melodrama. Like there's the parentage and family and love and betrayal. But it's like the most low key, low stakes <laughs> melodrama. <laughs> like the worst. I mean, wow. Okay, we, we'll get into it. Uh, maybe, maybe don't slap people around quite so yes. much but yes. for the most part for the most part it manifests as just like people kind of shouting at each other and like storming out of rooms so it's not um you know it's it's pretty low stakes at least until the very end um and i yeah i had a great time with it it was a lot more fun than i was expecting and i also think that for all the talk about ozu's filmmaking and how still everything is and how sort of restrained it was so much more visually interesting and compelling than I expected. Cause I think people maybe kind of oversell like his restraint and his style. Although I guess maybe, I mean, he's pretty consistent, right? Oh, so by the time you've yeah. watched 35 of them, <laughs> you pretty much know the score. But for me, for it being my first time watching one of his movies, I'm like, these are some fascinating choices. The camera is so low to the ground. Look at these interstitial establishing shots, like mm-hmm. all new to me. So that was, that was a treat. Put, put it on the ticker tape. Jana, colon, <laughs> Ozu is visually interesting. I mean, look, I didn't go to film school. I no, have to it's teach my, I, myself I these things sometimes. I was just very happy to hear you say that. Yeah. And he, he is, like, he doesn't really move his camera very much, and especially, mm-hmm. like, a, after his this sort of first phase of his career, when he becomes more, like... Um, I guess ritualistic in terms of the the way he presents his films. He really doesn't move the camera and the scene to scene transitions are either like just a cut or a cut to something outside that's not really doing it, like cut to a building outside and then you cut right. back inside. Um but there's so much going on in each of his frames that it's not boring to look at because he tends to like shoot through the frames of the houses and there's a lot of stuff going on like in the house. Um like through through door frames you're seeing mm-hmm. through two rooms and then outside or there's like banners hanging above so there's still a lot to look at even if the camera's not dancing around and doing jolly zooms and stuff like that so i think like i was thinking about this more after i watched um an autumn afternoon and then it, it resurfaced again while watching this that he really might be the best like compositional director Mm -hmm. just like where where you put people where you put stuff um it's always so interesting he manages to do it while Mm -hmm. keeping the camera nearly entirely static Mm -hmm. um i i wrote down a list of the shot composition rules an ozu movie should follow um the the dogma uh the dogma (laughs) 95 of Ozu. Exactly. Uh, the the director the director must not move the camera (laughs) right screw eyelines just yeah yeah um so one of them is like a very flat camera frame but inside the frame it has to occupy a lot of depth there is almost always something in the background foreground middle ground of a shot um we almost never shoot dialogue like every other person would ever shoot dialogue which is generally a camera a camera b over um the actor's sort of shoulder so they're talking near to the camera they're like facing the camera but they're looking at the person that they're talking to instead ozu just is like okay i'm gonna put the camera here and you're gonna look into it and talk which how did you- <laughs> that was the one that was the only of all the the sort of ozu things where he's like breaking rules and doing his own thing that was the only one that was legitimately a little distracting <laughs> to me like the first time i noticed especially 
Um, I think it's a scene between um, Komajoro and Oyoshi, maybe. I, th- I think it's between the two mm-hmm. of them. And there's where Komajoro just staring straight down yep. the lens. And it's so, it just takes you out of it, which, I mean, I'm guessing is the purpose. Although we'll talk about it. There's a very funny Ebert quote where somebody suggested that like, he had an assistant who suggested that maybe he respect using eyelines and he tried it and then said, I don't see the difference. <laughs> and you're like, Yes. Yeah, so that was something else. Is he, he, when it would be talking like to camera, you'd expect it like mm-hmm. the camera would be just in the middle between the two people, yeah. but it's not. He's like, he'd be that like, person's over there. He's like, the person's there and a person's there, but they're, they're yeah. going to like adjust this person that way. So it looks prettier basically. Yeah. It took it took a little while for me to catch on that that was on purpose and not just like in the mm-hmm. first time I saw it, like a lot of these things, like the first time you see it, you're like, well, this is not how people traditionally shoot things. So is it a mistake? I don't think I think he knows what he's doing. And then, you're like, well, okay, I, this is a choice. It's you, you do yeah. get more used to it after you watch more of his movies. But I do remember I will the, say the after first 35 one I saw movies, was... you, you get a little used to it after that point. <laughs> yeah. But I remember specifically having the same reaction while watching Late Spring. And it's like, uh, like why, why are you staring <laughs> why are you, at me? Why are you looking at me? Yeah. And be, like Ozu, like obviously is a, a very, very highly respected um, filmmaker mm-hmm. among other filmmakers. And he's got all these um, like notable things in his style, like the, the way he frames things. And then like using the tatami shots, like of the camera being lower down. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this, manner of shooting dialogue instead of doing the over over the shoulder shot it's it's basically like a camera's on a swivel like right in between (laughs) (laughs) right in between the two people um and despite him being so highly regarded i don't know anybody who's like trying to do this no one really tries to copy ozu except for kogunoda which is not surprising as he named himself after Mm -hmm. ozu's main screenwriter partner Even then, the, does he, he does he use that? I don't um, think so. I like think he, most he has of, the building compositions, but he doesn't really do that form of, right. of dialogue. His dialogue is more like uh, Linklater's. I, I would say yeah. the other way Ozu would shoot dialogue is just a wide with the two people in the frame, sort of looking at mm-hmm. each other and we're observing them. And that was the way yeah. Koganota, I think, did more of the dialogue. Like I'm thinking about when Haley Lee Richardson and John Chu were in the car talking together mm-hmm. outside the library and it's just we're going to sit in the back seat we're going to watch them talk and yeah. we're going to be kind of outside what their discussion is so he had mm-hmm. that but yeah you're right no one and another one is aki kurismaski the swedish i think uh filmmaker is also a big proponent of his and while he plays with a lot of like ozuisms he never decides to do the let's put the camera right here and have the person talk into it because that's it is weird <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think he's Finnish. Yeah. Finnish, okay. Yeah, it's one of those countries. <laughs> but yeah, that's no. That I think the only maybe like you said part of his style that I feel like I've seen imitated is more of the the compositional like set the camera and like shooting through door frames, shooting through window frames. Yes. Like that is something that obviously I've seen in other films, and when it works, it works so well. I think there's the, 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 some of the rules like the. 180 degree rule or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. where you don't cross the plane and then looking into the camera it's like sometimes those rules are just there to protect the human brain (laughs) so that you don't disengage and your your brain doesn't just go like ah what am i doing rather protect the human heart i know i know he doesn't care about he doesn't care about no it's i mean it is true though he doesn't care about those rules like he Mm -hmm. you know 
I, I enjoy it, but slightest. I could definitely know it's not for anyone. At least, uh, it's not like, what's the guy's name on the Unspooled podcast, Nick? Oh, Paul Shear. Yeah, who was saying, like, Ozu would have failed film school. <laughs> Just like, okay. I mean, right. I mean, I, I get to the to the point that that is saying like he breaks all of these yes. rules you are taught in film school. That it, I think that is true. It just I, I don't think it makes his movies any less good. Yeah. Um, but it breaking all the rules. Yeah. So um, as Nick mentioned, the Tatami shot, um, which is when the I think most people know, but a Tatami mat is like what the the traditional Japanese like. It's not sitting wear, but it's like loungewear where you would kneel on a mat and that would be sort yeah. of your place of rest. Um, and he sort of shoots from someone that's observing the room and the humans from basically at, at a tatami mat. And it's mm-hmm. quite common that when most of his movies got discovered by the West in the 70s, everyone was like, oh, he's trying to aggrandize his characters by shooting at a low angle. And it's like... No, and that's, I think, another reason why a lot of Ozuisms isn't copied, is you can't really do a tatami shot in the West, at least, because they're not sitting on tatami mats or something. Right. Although the, the funny thing that he does with that, too, is a lot of time it is in those, like, cramped spaces in the rooms yeah. where everyone's in a room together and looking around. But then he also uses them, like, when it's two people alone in a cramped hallway. <laughs> it's like there yeah. wouldn't necessarily be anyone they're observing from that angle. But it, you know, it's it still works. I just think it's funny that it sort of is established from this one perspective, and then it carries through most of the other shots. Yeah, I do believe he started doing it in I Was Born But because he it was, it's a film about children and so he was trying to shoot for the child's angle that didn't mute mm-hmm. sorry that's okay <laughs> that was just funny you can edit that out later yeah <laughs> um and and that was sort of his way of shooting from like the child's perspective and he realized like oh i really like this sort of composition it became sort of the tatami shot uh another thing is the pillow shot which i think i heard somewhere that uh ebert specifically coined that phrase given um like pillow words in japanese poetry that are sort of meaningless but just Mm. sort of add punctuations to the ends of sentences um and that's basically like a scene will end and instead of cutting to the other scene it'll be like oh here's this empty room that people were in earlier oh here's these banners that are outside um and i think it does a good job of sort of it doesn't it's not like an establishing shot that tells you like where we're going next but just mm-hmm. continues to sort of set the entire scene that we are inhabiting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think of it as pillow shot, like a like a cushion or something, right? Like it kind of just mm-hmm. sort of it's, it gent, gent, gentles the transition that, so that, you don't just cut too. from these people in this room to these people in this room. There's kind of a little like sort of cushiony, like here's some banners that are blowing in the breeze and some nice music playing and then we'll go, <laughs> go to the next room. Mm-hmm. Um, and... While the rule in Ozu is the camera doesn't move, that's kind of a lie, because in most of his movies, the camera moves at least three or four times, which I know, that's still not much. But um, I do, Did it in this I one? I do not think the camera moves a single time in Floating Weeds. I was on the lookout for it, and I did not well, see. I think we would that. all notice it, because when it does happen, you're always like, whoa! Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the camera is on the boat, in the early scene, like as the troop is coming yeah. in. So you, you see movement. The camera itself isn't moving, but it's on something that's moving. Right. 
but I is for as much as I can remember, I think that's the most movement we get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so that those though, that's the dogma of the Ozu filming. Um, <laughs> as as we talked about, his stories are quite similar. Usually, um, I kind of wrote that most of his movies are either about people who want to separate but love each other enough to realize that they need to stay together or people that love each other and want to stay together but care about each other enough to know that they need to separate and i think that inhabits about like 75 percent of his work and i don't really know (laughs) if that necessarily falls in both kind of happen um where the actor and the son feel like they need to separate but love each, each other enough to stay together and um the troop leader and uh the main actress his his current mistress are kind of splitting apart but realize at the end that they need to stay together mm-hmm. um but i i don't know yeah if it's as i was, I was surprised that they both sort of stayed together yeah. in the end like that's not i we're not where i saw that going at all um which which i liked because i like when things end happily and people end up together. Um, but I was surprised in both instances. I, I thought for sure this was going to end with everybody like sad and alone. And they're a little sad, but they're not alone. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, he's generally known it for quote unquote domestic dramas, which is just like films sort of about families and stuff. Although in his early years in the twenties, he, he was more common for doing like college bro comedies or gangster movies so those are very interesting to watch and in those he he moves his camera constantly um so that's it's very strange to watch and uh the last thing it would just be he quite often retells his own stories with slight changes or he just straight up remakes the movies themselves so this is a remake right or this yeah. is of a short film okay this did you guys watch that the, the short film it, yeah, it's not short. It's I. Oh. I think it's still like minutes. an hour and a. Yeah, oh. it's an hour and a half. It's almost as okay. long as this. It's short. And it's oh, um. So he's just fully remaking his original movie, I guess. Right. It's and it's um quite similar. Like Good Good Morning is sort of a remake of I Was Born But, but it's it's much different. Um, mm-hmm. It has a lot of similar themes, but this is um, like most of the plot beats are the same. I would say the entire, including, including like it, it building up to, even like the the, um, scene of him like hitting the girl and then hitting Kiyoshi and then Kiyoshi pushing him. Like even that is like, it, not fra- not frame for frame, but the exact same thing happens. It, he had the exact same direction notes in it at least. Yeah, interesting. Now, I think this entire movie is literally the exact same movie as the old one. He just makes scenes slightly longer or has a little bit more hangout time with the troops actors and that's about it mm-hmm. like otherwise it, it, there's not even like a new scene it feels like you know it throughout most of this movie um compared to the old one but yeah huh. i do think this one uh w- with all that being said i think this one is much better oh, yeah. um it, it it looks better i think the performances are a little bit more moving for the most um, part yeah i, I do so have I, one point I, of contention there though I'm curious as to who the is it the main character? No, it's it's the son. Okay. I think the son in the old one is a bit better than the son in the new one. Oh, I like the son in the new one a lot. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> You're allowed. Yeah, I did too, but I have no point of comparison. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Screw the old son. Yeah. Um. So, last thing before we get to the actual story, because I think the story's going to be pretty quick. That we're gonna. This is probably yeah. going to be our quickest breakdown. So I kind of want to yeah. go over some of the general stuff. Uh, the last thing I kind of want to talk about is sort of his... He has his own sort of acting troupe, almost, of people. Well, mm-hmm. it, it was mainly the production studio he worked for it made him almost do all the same actors. But I don't think he minded that, because you kind of need to know how to work with Ozu a lot. And they were probably used to it. So I would say three to maybe four of his main actors show up in this movie, which is a bit less than usual. And I did mention that this movie's kind of a little less Ozu than most. It's much more melodramatic than most of his movies, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of his movies don't get into like slapping or yelling at each other. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like this movie maybe my and I am going off of Wikipedia, so correct me if I'm misinformed. But it sounds like this one's a little bit different because it's like a one-off made for a different studio. Mm-hmm. So he's using some of the players from that studio yes. as opposed to more of his regular troupe. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes sense for why this might be a little bit, you know, yes. sideways from some of his other work. So yeah, he usually did stuff through Shochiku, yes. which is where is like Dai-A. most of his moves were. In. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is Daie, so it's like a. a they, like Dylan said, it's a band of different people, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But you do still see a couple people like uh, Chishu Ryu. Chishu! We see in for what, like, what? It's I one think scene. he's literally in one scene. Yeah. Um, but he's he's in every Ozu I think he's in 28 almost. out of the 35. Yeah. Oh, From okay. his, his earliest surviving film, where he just plays, like, a college dude that's chilling with friends in the background for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. to being the main character of his final film. So he was there through it all. Um, yeah, before- he he really stood out, by the way. I know you told me <laughs> okay, to sort of really like look out for him, but he, about- well, no, he really stood out. Like, he, um, a very handsome man, even like a very <laughs> handsome older man. And so like literally when he came on screen and Matt turns to me, he goes, who's Cary Grant over here? <laughs> it's like, yeah, who is this guy? And then I was like, oh, I think that's the, the main actor. And then he never came back. I like, know. I was very <laughs> I was like, sad. Aw. I was very, very sad. Especially because yeah. on the letterbox, he's not highly billed, but I think he's sixth. I mean, he like shows up sick, you know. He like he shows up maybe, maybe in that that's, order, that's possible. and that's then possible. that's might be why it is. But yeah, because he's there at the very beginning. He what uh, rents them out the yeah. theater? Or yeah, the, yeah, he's yeah. the theater. Okay. He's the theater owner and gives them the space to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say the way Ebert puts it in his commentary, and I don't know how much of this he was just being tongue in cheek, was that. Um, Chishiryu showing up is really just like his reminder that like yes this is indeed an Ozu movie. <laughs> it, there you it, go, just, it kinda, just to reassure people. Yeah. yeah, in case in case things were unclear by the by everything else about what's going on on screen, here is Chishu so that you know who made this. Yeah, is is Ozu the most easily recognizable director? Like he just, really might be. I think it might yeah. be true. The other, only other one, and I, we were talking about this guy recently, which might be why it comes to mind, is Tony Scott with the way he shoots and edits movies. I like. I feel like. I mean, there, there's a very basic, not uncool answer to this question as well, which is Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. I'm just like that's. It's a very uninteresting. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> answer it's, to that it's, prompt. It's completely true as well, and. It's interesting because um, Wes Anderson's highly compared to Ozu. Yeah, I, I can see why, honestly. 
I can. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, you don't they, like they, Wes Anderson. He like... creates little picture boxes, and he works with a troupe and shoots through a lot of you know doorways and frames mm-hmm. and things. The, and... The, just the tone yeah. and style, besides just sort of the basic framing and acting troupe, though, is, mm-hmm. it's very different. Oh God, yeah, no, I wouldn't compare the tone at all. Yeah, um, but so I'm curious, Shanna, like, what do you think of Chishu's acting in in the one scene, though? I mean, good. Seemed like very, yeah. you know, he didn't have much to do, yeah, he but he, have a you lot know, to do. I guess. seemed I, like he got a very, char- very charismatic scene presence to the point where I was like, why isn't that guy coming back anymore? But then he never came back again. So, yeah. Um, I, I, Chishu's also a very, like, recognizable actor because one thing is mentioned in, um, the video I sent you guys from the Vin Vendors documentary, sort of about Ozu and, mm. um, Japanese cinema is uh, Chishu's, like, playing people, like, wildly older than he is most of the time. And he's always kind of changing his look. And sometimes I have... It's it's a little tough to, like, recognize where Chishu is until he goes, Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He's just this sigh <laughs> that is so recognizable that... Um, well... Yeah, it's interesting. The picture of him on his Wikipedia page says it's from Tokyo Story, which is a handful of years before this, I guess. Yeah, and he's playing and he like an older in that. Yeah, yeah he looks a lot older in that picture than he did even in the movie last night. So that is interesting. Um, the other main actress in the movie, and I kind of want to get to this talking about sort of how Chishu would yeah. change uh, mm-hmm. years, is Haruko Sugimura, who plays the old okay. mistress um, in... What is it? In Tokyo Story, he's playing Huruko Sugimura's father. Mm-hmm. But in mm. Early Summer, the film before that in the Nariko trilogy, he is playing the sister to Nariko, whose mom's friend is played by Huruko Sugimura, and they're supposed to be the same age. So that's that's like a complete... One is supposed to be playing like the older mother figure. I mean, it's the mother's friend, but... They're sort of in their right. same age levels. And then they reverse in the next movie where Chishu's playing the, the dad and Huruko's his uh, daughter. So presumably Ozu is just casting them in these roles because he wants them in these roles mm-hmm. irrespective of, you know, it doesn't really matter <laughs> if yeah, you're actually yeah. sort of the designated age to play this. It's like, no, you should you should play this part and we'll just work it out from there. Yeah. Um, Chishu's almost always just kind of like the calm, easygoing dude. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes plays a little bit sterner character and Haruko Sugimura is kind of like the catty neighbor or sister that's like always trying to like uh, control things she's not necessarily that in this movie This is she's very chill in this movie that, she's, she's incredibly yeah. chill in this movie yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a little different but like her stuff in like Tokyo Story Good Morning she's, Tokyo al- Story, yeah. she's always kind of playing like the oh well what about me <laughs> sure um, what'd you think of Haruko Sugimura Jana? She was good. Uh, she's yeah. She's this is the the mom to be clear the the former mistress the yes, uh, indeed. um Kiyoshi's mom. Yeah, she's good. Um, she is almost surprisingly laid back. Um, mm-hmm. considering the circumstances. Um, she just kind of lets it all play out. You know? <laughs> she does, and then you do, but she kind of makes her play. You know towards the end you know basically when she finally like asks him to stay and is Mm -hmm. like you know you could stay and we could just be a family and Mm -hmm. and that would be great and then that that idea lasts for five minutes until (laughs) everything goes wrong um but it is it's 
it's an interesting character who just is sort of like, yeah, you know, well, welcome back. Good to see you. Sun's doing good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can hang around if you want. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought she was really good. I thought she was a very um, sympathetic character. Yeah. And Nick, I'm assuming you enjoy Haruka Sugimura as I think most of the movies you've seen, she shows up in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's great in this. Um, I love her so much. Yeah. And it's like you, like you kind of open with it sounds like a melodrama and you would think that this would be like the most melodramatic like the old mistress yes, um, yes. and and this guy's come back into her life and right. in the commentary ebert says that the way they interact when they first meet is uh it's as if he's just an old like the good customer like mm-hmm. an old customer who who used to frequent her place a lot and she's like oh hey good to see you like let me grab you some sake or whatever not yeah i Love our our child, yeah. <laughs> not our child is an adult now, <laughs> right? Would you, yeah. Would you like to see him? Where have you been? Yeah, they, they, they really. Un, it's really underplayed to the point where it takes a while, like as a first time watcher, to catch on to the nature of their relationship and the fact mm-hmm. that this is his son and and how they ended up here. They really underplay it. Yes. Um, and yeah, you just sort of watch it unravel. Mm-hmm. The other two semi-regulars that pop up in this movie are Toyoka Takahashi, who plays the barber in the town. She gets about two scenes. Um, okay, but a really good scene. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. And and I, I even like went to Giphy and made a gift specifically of uh. There's one of the troop actors that comes in, and is kind of trying to hit a little bit too hard on the daughter. Getting getting a little fresh up with the daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the and the mom kind of finds out and is like uh. Go sit down. I'm going to give you a shave. <laughs> like, oh my God. starts like cleaning her. Opened the blade. Starts, oh, like, it's so good. Uh, sharpening the blade, looking at him like, I'm about to Sweeney Todd your ass. <laughs> well, and then the next time we see him and he has a bandage on yes. his face. <laughs> that so that bit is so it's, that bit it's is the so funniest funny part of the movie. You, you so know good. it. You know something like that's going to happen. And the movie mm-hmm. spares you from actually seeing it, but just right. like the joke later, because it's there's a pretty big gap in time between, oh. and it's such a minor character. Like I don't know that character's name. No, no. Um, <laughs> you just see him with a bandage on his face. Yeah, <laughs> you just can put all the pieces together. Yeah, I that that was like the funniest part of the movie for yeah. me for sure was the the, the yeah. sort of one, the one two of like her opening up the blade and you're like oh no <laughs> and then the next time you see him with the bandage and it tells a whole story. Um, and I guess something I missed on like the sort of Ozu dogma rules is everything has to be very elliptical in this filmmaking mm-hmm. and um, the main reference to that would be so many of his movies is just like we need to marry the daughter off to someone and almost mm-hmm. never do they show the actual wedding like that is just mm-hmm. it, it, it's like that's what would be shown in most movies but Ozu's like that's the foregone conclusion let's focus on everything else leading up to and after that um, and that's a mm-hmm. perfect example of elliptical um, storytelling that he does here where it's like yep. look we know he she's not going to shave him very properly <laughs> Right. She's yeah, gonna he's, make it he's intentionally gonna have a rough time rough of it. Give him a few cuts, yeah. and so it's funnier <laughs> yeah. if we see her reaction and then just see the bandage on his face later. Which um, we'll mm. get to the scene where the bandage is on his face at the beach, but um, that's mm. a great scene to talk about. The last one. There's... Oh, sorry, Nick. Go ahead. Oh, there was like one thematic thing that I wanted to bring up, and um, I, I copied this down from uh, Paul Schrader of all people. Um, yeah. He loves Ozu, may... though. 
Yeah, so he he um you may know him from Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and his Facebook uh, profile. His, 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 his crazy Facebook page. Um and then he directed like Light Sleeper, American Gigolo, stuff like that. Um so he wrote a book called Transcendental Style and Film and it's about uh one third about Ozu, one third about Carl Theodore Dreyer, and one third about Robert Bresson. Um but he's talking about um the the four untranslatable moods of Zen, and then he, th- they're called the Furyu. Um, and I won't, I won't go into all of them, but then he, he quotes Donald Ritchie. He says, although each of the Furyu were present in Ozu's films, Ritchie writes that Ozu is primarily the artist of Monono Oware, wh- yep. uh, for which he gives Tamako Niwa's translation, Sympathetic Sadness. And then it, it, he goes on to quote, uh, the, end, the end effect of an Ozu film is kind of a resigned sadness a calm and knowing serenity, which maintains despite the uncertainty of life and the things of this world. And then just the, uh, the Monono Owari Wikipedia um, says that it's literally the pathos of things and also translated as an empathy towards things or sensitivity to ephemera uh, is a Japanese term for the awareness of impermanence or transience of things and both the transient gentle sadness or wistfulness at their passing as well as a longer, deeper, deeper gentle sadness about the state of being the reality of life. And uh, I think that is the most Ozu. That really is something. Mm- Maybe it is the framing, but if it's not the framing, it really is just that um, sense of, like we said, impermanence. We're, we're in the, the lives of these people who are um, seem to get along quite well, like uh, um, Komajuro and Ayoshi. Uh, it seems like they would maybe be better off if they were just together, but really their relationship is sort of this impermanent thing and they're sort of trying to just enjoy it while it's there it's a really great point of analysis i do like you quoting paul schrader quoting someone else though so Mm -hmm. that that was great (laughs) yeah well i mean paul Paul schrader wrote that book but a lot of it is pulling from donald ritchie who who is like the the ozu guy Mm -hmm. yeah it it reminds me of like in the office where it's like you miss all the shots that you don't yeah, take. Michael, yeah, Wayne Gretzky yeah. <laughs> quotes Michael Scott. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, but the last one that comes up is Koji Mitsui, who I didn't even realize was an Ozu regular because most of the movies he plays um, a reporter, a, a policeman, a bar patron, and like none of he, none of the movies he's very much a main character except for this one. And in the original Floating Weeds, where he plays the son. Oh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so it's kind of hard to pick him out because he's just sort of one of the acting dudes. But um, his biggest part in the movie was um, when he's kind of like the guy we follow going into town the most in the kabuki makeup. Oh. And he goes into the brothel and he's like... um, Goes into the brothel? (laughs) And he's like... uh, Claims to be... Do I know you? And he's like, I am... Toshiro, Mifune. And everyone's like, ah! <laughs> Which is a uh, great I also liked joke. The, I also liked the bit when um, uh, he's like sort of flirting with the the one like younger or like, yeah. more attractive, I guess, of the lady working at the brothel and then sees the guy up there and gets all mad and then like shouts, master, your wife is here <laughs> uh, to sort of like create chaos. Like he's, he's just creating chaos. Yeah. Um, I like, yeah, that entire scene was very funny. Yes, it is. Um, 
on the Wikipedia, it actually says that he doesn't say Toshiro Mifune, which I think if you're paying attention, he doesn't. He actually said um, a very famous Kabuki actor itself. Ah, sure. Which I think was, I don't remember the name, and that's going to be a hard thing to search, but um, maybe I'll edit it in. But the English translation, they were like, what's the one Japanese actor we could do the best joke of someone pretending to be? And I think picking Toshiro Mifune worked pretty well. It would have been very funny. I didn't know that, but that's interesting because that, I was going to say that him saying, to sh- like, this is, I think, supposed to be, um, like, a modern story. This movie is from 1959, and I think it's supposed to mm-hmm. take place around that time. But there aren't that many, like, temporal signifiers, and that was really the only one that stuck right. out to me as, like, oh, all right, this is not taking place in, like, the 1800s. It'll say so much of the dress and everything else is so old-fashioned. I mean, mm-hmm. other, basically, other than the sun... And we see a couple of, of women in a little bit more modern clothing, mm-hmm. but so many people are, are dressed in traditional, more, a traditional yeah. style. Yeah, um, The famous kabuki actor that he pretends to be apparently is Kinosuke Nakamura, okay. um, at least according to Wikipedia. Um, but I, I always kind of appreciate that sort of translation yes, where it's, it's like, really look, helpful. you got to, yeah, because otherwise we wouldn't know that was a joke. Yes. Like it, mm-hmm. you, you have to, sometimes you have to update the reference so that the yeah. audience understands the point of the line, even if you change the name yeah. the reference. Like yeah. Yeah, you can't put a footnote to the subtitle. Right, a little <laughs> subtitle being like, this is a famous actor. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think if they just said that name, um, I would have just been like, oh, that's the, that's the that's character's his name. name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, so that that's a great point that you bring up, Jana, about the, or, mm-hmm. sorry, um, which one of you brought up the point about the, it felt like it should have been older, but then these things pop up, like Tashir Mifune? Uh, both both and, of us, sort yeah, of. Yeah, 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 connected, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of my favorite things is, like, uh, it's very small, and they add in, like, these sort of cosmopolitan el- elements, like when, um, uh, Samu, uh, what's, what's her, what's the actress, Mr. Sumiko? Sumiko. Uh, Sumiko, like, goes to a bar and has, like, this uh red looking alcoholic drink with like ice and it, it looks like something that someone would get at like a, a retreat in the bahamas or something mm-hmm. yeah um or like there's another detail. part where the acting troupe i love the scenes where the acting troupe is just chilling but there's one woman mm-hmm. just like sucking down a popsicle in like this yeah. very traditional mm-hmm. kimono i'm like okay <laughs> that's yeah very different and it right Sort of like this town is sort of stuck in the past because, I mean, like, they're having kabuki troops travel there, and that's... Not yeah. Freudian at all for one of the... Uh... <laughs> Nick! <laughs> the popsicle. I mean, yeah, they were I all think, pretty I mean, horny in that group, so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely a combination of, obviously, the theater troupe itself is going to look very old-fashioned because that's kind of the whole point, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. they're in this re- seemingly sort of remote village that is not super cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um... The last two actors I want to talk about are not regulars of his. Um, the first one is Ganjiro Nakamura, who only appeared in one film, and it was after this. And it was in um, End of Summer, which ended up being one of my favorite movies in Ozu's filmography. Uh, he plays in a, literally the exact role in End of Summer, though. He plays an old, in this case, dad who has a secret affair with another mistress that was older that he has uh, possibly fathered another child with. Um and he keeps on sneaking away. And in this case, it's not like his current mistress is angry. It's more like the controlling doting's uh, daughter is like, where do you keep going off to? Um, mm. So it, it was fun to see the sort of compare and contrast between these two. Um, Ganjiro Nakamura was actually a traditional kabuki actor. 
and the original title of this movie was supposed to be the radish actor which sort of feels like a backhanded comment <laughs> about sort of the olden style sort of plain kabuki uh-huh. um style but because they decided to hire this traditional kabuki actor they were like we will change the name <laughs> Yeah, you don't really if you're if you're hiring a traditional kabuki actor to play this role, you probably don't want the title and framing of the movie to be Radish super Man. overtly like you're a bad actor and this is like Yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean they still he you know, it's not exactly presented like they're the world's best theater troupe, no. but it's a little bit more respectful than that. They yeah. do fail like halfway through the movie. Oh my but... god. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great scene. Yeah. Um but uh what did you guys think of Kajira Nakamura in, in this sort of main role? This, this is really his first time working in sort of an Ozu setting. Yeah, I think he's quite good. He he does feel sort of um, like he stands out from many other yeah. Ozu characters. But at the same time, like you could see where he might have been compelled to hire uh, like a Chishu Ryu for this type of role, which I think would not have worked. He just like his face alone would not have worked to play this type of guy. It mm-hmm. like the character would have been completely different. Um, you know, the uh, beating of women scene would not have played, I think with Chishiryu doing yeah. it. Whereas this guy, he just sort of, he looks like the type of person and, and presents himself as the type of person where you're like, okay, I see him doing he's sort that. of big and intimidating um, in a sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's, I think he's great. And I think it does make sense that he's um, not in the, the, majority of Ozu's movies he he just doesn't typically have that type of role for a guy like this I'm curious though that he reused him twice in his last four movies if if he had lived longer if he would have become a sort of Ozu regular though could have happened Mm -hmm. and Jana what about you yeah I I agree he definitely stands out like not not the most naturalistic um style of actor which it seems like maybe a lot of the other performers are but yeah again it you buy it as it being this guy, yeah. you know, who, you know, lives this life and he would stand out among all these other people he's interacting with. Like even the other people in the theater troupe, because it's like, he's the leader. Um, they obviously all respect him very much. They call um, him master. But then they do. Um, but then like Nick was saying, you really buy it in at the end when he gets, well, not even just at the end, but last third at the end when he gets really angry. Yeah. And then in the big fight he has with uh, Sumiko too, like when he drags her out of the house and they have that big fight, you, you buy his, his anger and intimidation and everything. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite things about him though, is uh, he sort of speed walks everywhere he goes. He looks like Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the middle a bit, except just like (laughs) a really old man version of it. Um, well, and it and it stands out more too because of like the traditional dress yeah. with like the sandals and everything. <laughs> so you really in. notice it, right? So you really notice it when he really starts moving, and it's like, yeah, it's it, great. And it that's just out, something yeah. I sort of noticed in both the movies that I, I really enjoyed about him. And the last actor mm-hmm. that I want to talk about, and uh, I, I actually might want to turn it to Nick because he sort of brought this point up uh, in the messenger chat is sort of the career of Machiko Kiyo and sort of her leading up into this role in Floating Weeds. Yeah, who she just passed away like a, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, oh wow, age, she made it to 95. Good for yeah, her. Yeah, 95. But um, I think the, the main career highlights of hers, she's in um, Gate of Hell, which is a can winner. I yep. believe that one at Cannes, didn't it? It, it was one of the oh. very first Japanese very first, movies to like, yeah. sort of break into the West. Yeah. Um, but obviously she's in this, which is not 
Ozu's most notable movie, but I think it's up there. Um, and then she's in Rashomon. She plays the the uh, samurai guy's Samurai's wife. wife. Yeah. Oh, who, okay. So that's, I would have seen her in that. Yeah, so that's one of Kurosawa's most notable movies. And then she plays uh, Lady Wakasa, who um, is a very interesting character. If you've seen Ugetsu Monogatari, which I think I would, I would argue is probably Mitsuguchi's most famous highly regarded movie so the the yeah like the big three like the main three japanese directors from like this era are ozu um kurosawa and mitsuguchi and she was in very popular movies from each of those directors i just think like that's we should be talking about her yeah we should be talking about her more as someone who's uh you know been in some of the biggest most highly regarded movies in world cinema yeah, and and she's great. In, she's great in this. She's I think really, she was my really favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I, I just want to quickly say uh, she was also in a Koni Chikawa movie called Odd Obsession, which is one of the other major directors and another major director's uh, Hiroshi Tishigura's uh, The Face of Another, which I've heard is just wild movie. I've yeah, I've, one of my one of my friends has told me to watch that uh, a number it of times. Sounds it like sounds like a Nick movie. So yeah, it sounds out here. there. I was I was going to say I assume nobody has seen the the one American movie she was no, in. No, but that's really interesting. Like she's with, what is the American? She movie plays she with like in? Marlon Brando and something. Yeah, a movie called The Tea House of the August Moon from 1956. <laughs> cool that name. That was like very which, cool I know, name. which is like it's like a World War II satire. It's like apparently it's like a comedic satire of the occupation occupation of Okinawa. Um, <laughs> it's just and that's something to satire. Right, but so I. I I can't really speak to it a ton because I'm just learning about it. Um, and, you know, it's it's a movie with a Japanese actress from, like, the 50s. So, you know, there's all kinds of stereotypes and stuff like that. Um, and I think, oh, no, I'm afraid Marlon Brando uh, plays a Japanese man in this movie. I don't so, so watch yeah. out for that. No, he, he does. Oh, Marlon no, Brando no. is as Sakini. Yeah. Um, it was MGM's biggest hit of the year. She got a Golden Globe nomination. She did. She got a Golden like. Globe for that. Yeah. Wow. Um, but it does. It says obviously it's been, you know, criticized for stereotypes and yellow face. Um, but um, some some scholars have argued that it it was uh, it helped increase racial tolerance in the United States because it openly discussed interracial marriages. <laughs> so. Like, all right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would expect nothing s- better from a notably unproblematic actor, Marlon Brando. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, if, if you guys want to click through to, I, I will not make this my uh, Zoom background because I just cannot bring myself to do it. But if you want to click through to the Wikipedia page for Treehouse of the August Moon, Tea House of the August Moon. Oh, no. And, um, <laughs> take okay. a look at that picture, which is. Okay. Uh, is it, is it better or Ford. worse than John Ford? And oh God! <laughs> you know, it's sorry, not, not John expecting. Wayne. John, John, John Wayne, not John Ford, but as oh, King is called. But Wayne. good Lord! Or or you James Bond and freaking yeah. when James Bond does yellow face and also or Cap Catherine uh, oh. Martell. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or Catherine Martell. Um, yeah, so that's, but th- this is fascinating. I had no, I, I yeah, I, you're right, Nick. I think we, everyone should be talking about, um, Chiko Kyo a lot more. Like, I had no idea about her career at all. And I've seen Rashomon. I just never connected mm-hmm. all those dots, so. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's great in Ugetsu, too. She has she, a, uh, 
a very interesting role in I, that movie. Ugetsu is like one of the greatest. Her her and Ugetsu is like one of the greatest performances I think in Japanese history. For, for yeah. my oh. money, it's, it's just it's wild. That movie's wild. That's but. a movie. That's a movie that during like the last three Criterion sales, I've had it in my card at one point in time, and then I go, well, I've bought too much shit i need to like pare down a little bit and that always ends up being like it one keeps of the getting cut yeah. yeah so the next one maybe that'll be it, it's it's on my list of ones that i need to pick up soon um yeah it's yeah. A cool movie awesome movie yeah sounds cool um huh. so yeah so that is an hour of time but i think yeah. the well, plot itself will get through fairly quickly we, i say well, we've also can, hit on a lot of the high points of the plot so yeah can i pull uh, another uh paul schrader quoting yeah go for me it. quoting paul Please schrader do. quoting donald ritchie <laughs> yes. um so paul schrader says toward the end of his life ozu focused his attention on certain forms of conflict within the shomen jeki that which is a a genre that he describes as uh like melodrama plus light comedy. He says, this conflict is not drama in Western terms, and it is certainly not plot. And then this is um, a quote from Ozu to Richie. Uh, Ozu says, so it's me quoting Schrader, quoting Richie, quoting Yeah, Ozu. I was just about to say. Woo. <laughs> this is like where the snow level. In, uh, I was going to say, we have in, to go deeper. Yeah. yeah this, <laughs> no, this might even be where uh, where you meet now. Yeah. In, I was going to Yeah, this uh, is, Yeah. So Uzu says, pictures with obvious plots bore me now. Naturally, a film must have some kind of structure or else it is not a film. But I feel that a picture isn't good if it has too much drama or action. So okay. how, how would so, Uzu feel about the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Not cinema. <laughs> yeah. He would be, he'd, be uh, on team, he'd be on Team Marty who... Uh, he would be Mar- Team Marty. Scorsese is actually like not an Ozu guy, which I think is yeah sort of interesting I mean, since he's very into like Kurosawa and Mitsuguchi. This was I mean, of does he those not three. like Ozu, or is he just kind of like? Yeah, I just I mean, have he's, never really. I, I, he's he's obviously not up. influenced by him, but mm-hmm. but he's obviously not influenced by Satoshi Rai or anything. But that's true. He loves he Satoshi about, Rai. Yeah. 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 So I I know he I've I've even seen him quoted and I forget where of him talking about like oh yeah Paul's really into Ozu he never really did it for me or <laughs> it's something like Paul's to that thing. effect right. yeah yeah that's re- that's really like what this is this, this is a kind of kind of a Paul thing it's not a Marty thing gotcha yeah that makes sense to me yeah oh before we I I know we're gonna get into are we gonna like talk about the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we will we've, I, we've I, been look, talking so, about the movie this whole time i, ha- yeah. I have eight so, bullet points of just general plot and we can go over sure. those in general but All we've right. gone over a make lot make sure already. we don't miss anything yes. yeah. yeah um can i describe real quick though uh can i read from a trip that i took to japan a couple years ago yes please yes so uh this i found this on my facebook page and this is from november of 2019 so this is you quoting uh, you this is me quoting myself. Okay, gotcha. So in the, the background of this is... Ne- Hard to keep up. Yeah. Nelly and I went to Tokyo a couple oh. years ago, and the context for the trip is I did not know where we were going. That was one of the most yeah. fun days of my life, which was when Nick posted... Hearing on the group, that story? Like, yeah. No, but like Nick posted like, my wife is about to drive me to an airport for a surprise trip, and I have no idea where we're going, and everyone was so, trying to guess where it was. Yeah. Remind me again how far you made it before you realized like it we was, were on the plane or so i i knew that 
there were a lot of Asian people uh, <laughs> sitting around us. You know, you needed your passport. Yes. Yeah, I knew I needed my passport. I knew I knew there were a lot of Asian people sitting near us in the airport. And then when we got on, one of the um, flight attendants was Asian, um, and like speaking in a non-English language that I couldn't discern because I don't have an ear for that sort of thing. And then, um, could, probably out, halfway out of curiosity, through, could you tell it was not Chinese because you have? No, not okay. even a little bit. It <laughs> uh, didn't help. Gotcha. Uh, so, like, maybe, maybe halfway through the flight, um, they were passing out the things, that, like paperwork that you need to sign. And, they're, and I heard her say, are you are you staying in Tokyo or are you connecting? And it was... Ah. So it was... It was That's hour, very it was hours impressive. Into the, it was hours into Nelly. the flight. Yeah. That is just... I mean, I'm just picturing you with, like, noise-canceling headphones, yep. like, total blinders, just, like, keeping I, uh, your head down. I took my glasses off when I, like, would go from my seat in the uh, airport to, like, I, I went to the bathroom, and I took my glasses off so I couldn't see what the sign said. So, it was very, it was very intense. Yeah. What if, what if so, you had some, like, weird thing where, like, you needed to read something specifically about, like, what is flush and what is drain the toilet out of the airplane? <laughs> No. <laughs> no, it was a regular. It was a regular uh, American airplane. Good. Yeah. So I wrote. I wrote this um, on our last day. Uh, just a few days before we left for our trip, I bought a movie Nelly and I both love called Late Spring, directed by a Japanese director named Yasujiro Ozu, who many consider one of, if not the greatest directors who ever lived. When I got the movie, the possibility that our surprise trip would be to Tokyo wasn't even on my radar. But I told Nelly. Someday we should go to Japan so we can visit Ozu's grave. On our last day here, we did. He's buried in one of the most important Buddhist temples, the Engakuji Temple in Kamakura, about 40 miles south of Tokyo. His grave has no name or date, just the character Mew, symbolizing nothingness. Ozu was a lush who loved to drink while writing, and devotees have a tradition of leaving alcohol at his grave. We left a bottle of sake amidst other bottles of sake, beer, and whiskey. And then I, I talk about we also went to, um, like, just around the corner from here uh, is Kurosawa's grave. So we went we went there, too, uh, which is, like, really tough to find. And it doesn't have all the stuff around it. But there was incense burning when we got there, which was pretty cool. Nice. Nice. And then I just said, uh, like, the last paragraph after talking about Kurosawa is it wasn't really the typical vacation place to sightsee. And much different from the big, busy crowds of Tokyo. But I'm really glad we went. And I've got a took some pictures of uh all the booze just there's a ton of booze so much yeah. so many bottles of booze just like there's littered around Ozu's the picture grave. of his grave every picture of his grave you can find online right. is like that and yeah. like it's funny because it's like some bottles of sake but then also just like asahi beer or sapporo and then on the wikipedia page there's like there's just like a bottle of jack daniels yeah. sitting there <laughs> like it's just literally whatever anybody yeah. brought if you, so if you google ozu grave you'll see lots of pictures yeah. that's funny so i want to talk about two little things kind of going off what you brought up on your trip there um ozu was famously an alcoholic which is is not surprising um and uh the way he and Koganoda would discern how long it took their screenplay to write is by how many bottles of sake they consumed and i think tokyo story was like 110 bottles of sake which um that's very drunk to that's a lot of sake that is um and quite often in his movies there's a lot of drinking which but 
comes up in floating weeds. In this one, there was a lot of smoking. I yes. noticed more mm-hmm. so than drinking, but, it's just, uh, especially like with Sumiko. It was just a lot of lot of smoking. Yeah, but I think the acting troupe is drinking most of the time. We see them. Oh. So yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, and the other thing is, um, do you know who was buried next to Ozu, Nick? Who he shares the grave with? I assume his mother. His mom. His mother. And so while all of Ozu's movies are sort of about relationships and marriages and sort of moving out of your parents' place, um, he lived with his mom until his mother's death, like a year before his. He never mm-hmm. married. He never had a long-term relationship. So for some reason, he wrote about stuff that he never did. He had no real... No children, no. like that's what's yeah. That's really fascinating that his the themes of. I mean, I guess he was close with his his mom and had yeah. siblings and stuff. But that Let's, is interesting that like the themes of his work. It feels like it's fatherhood and like being mm-hmm. the head of a family mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which he didn't actually do. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I think that wraps up just about everything we could do on the background. Now for our fifteen minute plot summary. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so the first thing I have down is the troop arrives in town. Koji Mitsui is handing out advertisements, and Chishu comes to rent the building. So there, the one, the one thing, the only one thing I wanted to point out here that we haven't mentioned already is speaking of jokes when he's going around with like the all those little boys, like scene. all the, the oh, kids. Yes. They're so funny, right? And he asks, like, do any of you have Older attractive? Old, yeah, or, he just says like attractive sisters and are pretty sisters and most of them say no and one says i do and he hands him the flyer and then goes well how old is she and he goes 12 and he takes the flyer back (laughs) i was like you're walking around with a bunch of six-year-olds how old did you think their sisters were gonna be like you'd be lucky if you could if one of them was 18 but all right well evert also brings up the one boy that just gets so excited that he just starts peeing in the corner runs yeah he just runs over yeah like one of the very first things you see in the movie is yeah they're running around and he runs over like pees really fast against the wall and then just joins back up with the group it's great um, it's it's a good opening yeah um yeah so I, I don't really have much notes on that that we haven't discussed already except yeah just i have literally just screaming chishu in my notes because yeah jana i, I really exciting. cannot wait until you watch a, a different ozu movie where chishu plays a main role in actually plays a main role yeah and also where I, I setsuko hara is in it because I think those are, like, the two biggest uh, Ozu actors. Okay, the second... Fair enough. The second point is uh, Komajura goes to see his old mistress, Oyoshi, and his son, Kiyoshi, and they go fishing. Um, we we yep. talked through most of this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did kind of briefly mention this, but the, the relationship and sort of the chemistry between Kojimura and Oyoshi is just so excellent. They are... It seems like they've known each other for so long that there doesn't need to be this sort of drama that you'd expect to sort of introduce the character background Mm -hmm. in the plot. Instead, we can just sort of ease into it at a certain level, which I greatly enjoy. So, yeah. Yeah. And the relationship with the, yeah, like with the son, too, like we talked about. It's all introduced. So just like, oh, hey, you're back. Okay. Like, Mm -hmm. well, he's under the impression that it's. Uh, it's, a much, it's a maternal uncle, which is a little bit weird that they would say maternal and not paternal. Right? Yeah, it's like you Maybe okay, they were just trying to extra hide like it. The mom's brother. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, so he's under the impression that his dad died, and this is mm-hmm. you know his his uncle who comes into town whenever the troop is in town, which is apparently not that often. It seems but like when once they every do, couple they, years, maybe. 
Yeah, or I even th- like 10 I thought years at some, or something. It seems like Yeah, I thought at some point they say it had been like 10 years, but when yeah. they stay, oh, they tend to st- they tend to stay for a while. So yeah. it's like an uncle that he likes and gets along with it, but doesn't see very often. So when he's in town, they like, you know, they go out fishing and chill and like buds. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting point in the discussion they have, and an interesting point in discussion that happens a lot of Ozu movies, is they don't really talk about the war too much, but they sort of bring up yeah. the effect of the war that has on individuals and sort of them reminiscing there's this really throwaway line that um kind of impacted me where the mother says they would have drafted you back then to the son like just kind of commenting on how old he is um Mm -hmm. sad line but also Mm -hmm. kind of shows how the times are the times they are changing yeah well yeah he basically commenting like he has these different opportunities he wants he wants to go to what like engineering school or something some sort of Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I yeah, just being like he's you know, off to college. If what it, another? Yeah, right. If it yeah. had been yeah, if it had been during the war, you would have been off to war. We do see in this scene too with them uh, fishing. One of Ozu's like main things that he goes back to is tradition versus modernism. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and we see that like not in the same way we do in like Tokyo Story or Late Spring, but here it's more just like the relationship to art and. Um, like basically Kiyoshi wants to go see the play and Komajuro says like, eh, it's not for you. You're meant to, to have like a higher class of, yeah. uh, of things that you do in life. Like you should be focusing yeah. on going to school and not worry about these stupid plays. Yeah. The Koma, Komajuro's um, in sort of insistence on the like, well, I don't know whether like low low classness for lack mm-hmm. of a better word and generational him, himself his profession like I mean because it's reflected obviously in one not really not wanting to reveal the parentage to his son and then also keeping him apart from the young woman mm-hmm. um, it's like yeah you can't be involved with the likes of us um, you know class disparity which is interesting yeah and Ozu doesn't really have he doesn't really go hard on like class the way I mean we talked about Boonwell a few weeks ago Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he doesn't really hit class that hard. It tends to be more um, like generational yes. divides. Mm-hmm. This one yeah. is probably his most of the ones I've seen class focused. The interesting um, thing but, about the generational divide is he never really takes a side for or against the other one. He sort of mm-hmm. recognizes that there was good things about sort of the traditional elements, side, but and this especially comes back to the war. He's like it's also pretty detrimental. Um, even mm-hmm. though there were things that he, he has nostalgia for. Um, and then, I mean, I look at something like Good Morning, which is just about a bunch of whiny kids that won't talk so they can get a TV. And it, it, I feel like most movies I'd expect it to just be like, look look at these like terrible kids. And like in the end, they have to be like, fine, we were not going to get a TV. <clears throat> and the end of the movie, like the dad just comes home with a TV and the kids are like, yay! And then the movie ends. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it, he seems very understanding about like how you know things are changing like the, the kid needs a tv it's it's the 1950s yeah. or 60s like mm-hmm. come on e- even yeah. though those kids are brats but they're awesome i love those kids <laughs> um yeah oh quick quick question that i'm was just something that occurred to me while i was watching the movie so the kids that are like a part of the theater troupe like are those are those just supposed to be like 
are they the kids of some of the members of the theater troupe? They're not like picking up kids and I taking them with them on the road. The troupe, but they never okay. specifically talk. They about ne- they never really get into it. But I'm like, wow, there's kids here. Yeah, I think so. There's the scene like towards the end um, where they they're finding out that like the the troops disbanding and they don't Where's have any money yeah. and the one the one guy goes downstairs and like softly oh. cries and then the kid follows him down yes. and i believe that's supposed to be either his son or maybe a grandson who oh, cries a little bit more like, like, like the kid starts crying that yeah, was really yeah. sad that yeah. kid is the young son in good morning is it oh. did you find that did you verify that or i don't know. You were just convinced of it. I'm so convinced. I'm because I thought I thought you said that you looked it up and it said it wasn't. Even though oh, I thought I, it was. I said it was such conviction because he plays the young son in End of Summer, and that's what I just watched. So sorry, but ah. yes, but that has to be right. It looks exactly like him. How um how far apart were those movies made? A year, I think a couple years. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, Cute kid though. Good, oh yeah, they're back. They're wait. Yeah, they're back you said back. good morning. They're they're, they're both they're both fifty nine apparently. Yeah. It, oh, it's the same year. You know, it might not year? be the same kid though, because I feel like he he looks uh, older than the kids in Good Morning. Barely then, but I don't know. Suburban Tokyo. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, so the third part we of the plot that happens is we sort of see the plays. The first one is sort of this play that's based on a like a robin hood character in japanese folklore and um, a famous sword that that person has and then the second one is sort of this woman that seems to sort of be like crying with a child um and uh hero uh and oyoshi shows up in the crowd at that one um I, i i do have the notes that like the plays are gorgeous but the actors are not very good there's a joke mm-hmm. that I didn't catch, but it pops up in the Wikipedia summary where, like, they're standing next to Mount Fuji, basically, in in the play setting. And they point one way and say, like, they go to the east, and it's, like, the west. And everyone's like, what? But, um... Oh. Yeah, that's that's one of those jokes that I, yeah, that I'm not going to pick up, you yeah, know? Same. I don't have the relevant context, but that's funny. Um, but I, I really enjoyed watching the plays. I like uh, Sumiko playing the sort of uh, Robin Hood character. She, she seemed to have fun in that role. Um, and I love the, the little kid that's in the other one where they keep on, like, throwing money at him. And he keeps on picking it and, like, oh, blowing yeah. kisses. Everyone's like, yeah! There's so much into, like, the kid blowing kisses to them than the actual play. Yeah. Um... There's also a part where, like, the actors are, like, looking through the the curtain and trying to, like, check out all the hot girls. Find the young, yeah. 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 They're so horny. Yeah, they, they are. They're funny. I, I like the cuts to the the sort of supporting players and yeah, let's, let's, what they're let's, getting Let's up talk to. about some of those cuts right here because they don't really come up in the plot at all. They're completely mm-hmm. disconnected from the actual plot. Um, Nick, you had a quote that you thought was very interesting from the part where they're at the beach together yeah i think that's after is that after they've disbanded or no it's before it's um, before that's for sure. okay but it's not long before it's like right in the yeah, middle of the movie right it's yeah it's in like the second half of the movie yeah they're all at the beach and um one of the younger actors says the sky is so blue it's sad <laughs> yeah uh how did that make you feel nick did that feel like an ozu <laughs> description to you yeah that's like the it's like a, a quintessential Ozu description. It's like 
sort of that mono no oare, like the impermanence yes, exactly. of this beautiful sky and they're they should be just like enjoying themselves at the beach but everything is uh impermanent yeah um i think this is another great like sort of modernist cosmopolitan thing coming into play in this sort of old feeling town which is like they're all bathing in these traditional uh caminos and um there's like this very old graveyard sort of behind them and then suddenly someone's like oh there's a plane and i'm like wait what (laughs) doesn't feel right yeah um yeah so the the next part of the uh plot um sumiko starter starts questioning komajiro uh where he is going and he's like oh it's nothing there's just this place in town that i like to go to and she sort of finds out that this is an old mistress of his um and sort of confronts the mistress the son and komajiro about it yeah yeah, she she gets jealous very quickly. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, has that conf- confrontation scene where it looks like she's going to give away everybody's secrets. But How did the son not there. completely pick on, given what he had heard that she, what she was saying? I mean, I you wonder how much of that is just, like, a denial survival mechanism. Where he, he does it's say like at some point ignore... that he, like, wondered. Like, right, it yeah, might have you kind of have to ignore mind. the clues. Yeah. Yeah, he says that in the fight at the end. Yes. Um, but yeah, she, she kind of spells it out pretty damn clearly there um, mm-hmm. without actually saying it. It's like, do you know who your son? And he's like, shut up. And he's like pulling her out in the Sun City. They're like, what? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, do you know who your father is? Who's your father? And it's like, what do you think? What do you think's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, willful ignorance on on kiyoshi's part i think so it's very true um there's an interesting comparison between sort of the old version and the new version as a lot of these scenes are similar the scene opens on komajiro and um kiyoshi sort of playing a game and in the old one they're playing chess and in this one they're playing go and i don't know if there's any sort of significance to that um could be that they're just in this town where like sort of modernist things come up it's like another sort of thing that's maybe more to the, more of the traditional side um as chess is more of a, a middle east and then english sort of creation mm-hmm. um, but i i just found that yeah, comparison interesting yeah um i do think this if if there is a shot like the one shot in this movie though it's the scene where um in the rain um Kamajiro and Sumiko are standing on mm-hmm. opposite sides of buildings and it is pouring rain outside and there's just these incredible frames within the frames that are going on and in between them is this like fiery red umbrella. That is mm-hmm. that is the scene of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a real standout and kind of like we were saying, it it sticks out in its composition too after having so many of the sort of indoors people just sort of looking at each other to have that you know what feels so expansive when really it's just two people <laughs> across a narrow street from one another but it feels like epic compared like to scene. like tiny scenes and small rooms yeah exactly um but yeah then sort of the plot gets driven towards the second half where um yeah so he he dumps her in this scene that's oh yeah, where, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah that's where he says that. he's 
yeah, yeah he he, dr- her. he drags her out of the house. He's like, "Don't come back to this house." And also, you're don't. Yeah, yeah. Not in those words. But. Harsh, harsh stuff. Yeah. A lot, a lot of name calling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, Sumiko decides to get back at him by convincing Kayo, sort of the young and most attractive of the troops actresses, to go, um, sort of seduce the um, son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As this would kind of hurt the feelings of the dad yeah it's kind of a it it struck me as a weird like weird revenge plot because and again i'm coming at this from my you know modern western sensibilities but it's like why why does he care what what is this going to do about anything one... so, so she goes out with the son who cares but yeah. he gets well, we... into it that he thinks he's the son's better than them and all exactly of that, and and it's sort of this is like the like most tainted, class but... thing that comes into an ozo movie yeah. where it's like you're too high to be fraternizing yeah. and it's sort of mentioned that kayo kind of sleeps around just like the men i was gonna say like everyone like, in this theater troop sleeps around and so, so it's like yeah. oh you're just whoring around with my son lady now. of easy virtue yeah he does call her a whore at least mm-hmm. maybe at more than one point multiple whores <laughs> in this movie. yeah well and it's also revealed in their breakup scene that sumiko used to be literally a prostitute so you wonder yeah. if maybe kayo has a similar yeah. thing yeah but There's, like yeah really all his um like protection, I, I guess we want to call it that of Kiyoshi is that he he wants Kiyoshi to have it better than he has it, and part right. of the way he justifies being away is that he he worries that he will. I mean, I don't know how much of that is like a real worry or that's his rationalization for being away, but probably he, both. he would if you were to ask him, he would he would claim to say that he doesn't want to bring Kiyoshi down to his level. Yes, um, and I don't know how. Uh, Sumiko manages to have figured all that out, but really the worst thing that she can do is something like this. Yeah. Uh, like to, to drag Kiyoshi to debase himself by being with uh, this like very, very attractive actress. Right. Yeah, she's so beautiful. <laughs> like, there, really. When, when uh, she's there sort of, try, she's trying to sort of plan it out. There's this one part where mm-hmm. Kyle's like, well, you'll never know if like he's into me. Like, and Sumiko kind of looks at her and is like, you bat your eyes at any man and like it's it's gonna work <laughs> like don't yeah. worry yeah and it does like all she has to do is say hey she like writes him a letter saying hey come meet me and he immediately yeah. leaves to He's talk like, to her again I- would do yeah very believable so I, I i'm gonna sort of play the nick game that he's played the past couple of times which is uh does this remind you of anything which is the part where uh she sort of goes into the bank or not the bank, the, the the post office, and pretends like, oh, I'm going to deliver this letter, but like, ooh, hi. Um, uh, Decalogue. Yeah, it was Decalogue yeah. 6. Oh, ha! Huh. I wrote down. I didn't even think of that. And That's I, great. I, I had a Freudian slip there where instead of saying the post office, I said the bank. The bank, but yeah. No, that's that's good. I mean, the- Yeah, that reminded me of that. In the whole movie, like, they don't focus on it as much, Um as in Do the Right Thing or Body Heat, but this is another hot movie. People talk about it being hot it all is. the time. Oh, my God. It's another hot movie, absolutely. The sweat and the fanning, and like I, I felt hot watching yeah. it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that did kind of remind me of Decalogue. Like, this person that's, like, going to this place of business, like, oh, I'm, I'm just a patron. Hey, yeah. sexy. Yeah. And it's very... Sexy meeting you here. Yeah, yeah. it's very purposeful. Um, yeah. He seems very dumbfounded, which I think I would be too if I was this guy that was just sort of living in this small coastal town and this actress was like, 
come here, baby. <laughs> right, and getting that kind of attention, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, One the, interesting thing, too, is she she writes him a little note that says to meet her, but she says, come outside to see we, instead of see me. That's the way it was translated in the subtitles, and oh, I think it's supposed to point that, like, she's sort of uneducated. Oh. Yeah. I thought that might have just been a misclick or something. No, I mean, like, maybe it was, but that's how I read it. It, to it be. would make like, sense. She'd... That'd be a great point. Yeah, whereas he's, like, on the verge of beginning school, mm-hmm. she's making, like, f- rudimentary yeah, she's not edu- Yeah, yeah. Um, the shading in the scene where they meet is just about as unsubtle as uh, Ozu ever got. When they got. meet at night. Yeah. At night, you mean? And they have his yeah. face completely shaded while she's trying to hit mm-hmm. on him. And then when he finally accepts the advances and sort of goes in for the kiss, then he's finally unshaded. Um, yeah. That, that There's some things in this movie where it's like, Ozu's pushing a little bit harder than he ever would have in any other movie that I can think of. But um, I don't think it works against the movie. It's, just, it's a very melodramatic concept that's going on yeah and it's still so subtle compared to how other people would have approached it very true they need to learn how to kiss though (laughs) yeah Yeah, well well is you get the sense that it's the first time that he's ever like been with a woman at all yeah well yeah especially if he's never been out of this town or anything Yeah. yeah he's a very limited experience yeah doesn't seem like there's a lot of young women in the town Besides maybe the prostitutes? You I was going to say, the only one you see, I think, is the prostitute, as and far as I can fair, remember. There anyway. doesn't seem to be many young men, either, besides him. It seems like True. a town that... it's it, It's got its generation sort <laughs> of dying out. And yeah. it's going to be kind of I mean, become a ghost town. At makes point. sense, right? Maybe like he's getting ready to leave, all the young people leave. Like Yeah. You know. um, so I want to talk about sort of the boat scene where they sort of interact here, but real quickly, I keep on forgetting to mention, there's a great motif of sort of the lighthouse in the background of mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. different shots, and it, it opens yeah. on a shot. It's this gorgeous shot of a, a lighthouse next to, like, an alcohol bottle. I don't know if it's sake or wine or what what have you, mm-hmm. but yeah. they're sort of mirrored off each other, and then regularly throughout the movie, because that's, like, the biggest thing in this town, it sort of gives mm-hmm. you a placement of, like, where we are in the town right. relative to mm-hmm. the lighthouse. But um, so, so there's this boats confrontation scene that I think is gorgeously shot as well. There's like white and red boats next to them. And they're sort of having to confront the fact that she's about to uh, move on to a new town or the troops about to be disbanded. Um, and he's like, we can be together. And she's like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> That that wasn't what happened here, but she sort of yeah. admits that, like, yeah, I, I, do, I do like you. <laughs> that that part of their relationship feels rushed to me in both versions of this and mm. Story of Floating Weeds. Felt- you go from you go from them like hooking up to her saying, "Oh, I've been lying to you," and there's really not much time in between, and you don't get a good sense of like how long they've been together. That's fair. right. It, it happens very quickly and also resolves immediately. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that I, I, I actually love that in this movie. I Thank you. It it's my happens favorite in a movie. thing. No, it's the best. And, and it's it's my my preferred resolution to one of these stories where it's like, because it's, su- it's, it's such a trope. Like, it's such a trope, right? In, in films, in romance fiction in general, like the, oh, you 
we actually met under these specific circumstances, but now I actually have feelings for you. And then, oh no, I feel so betrayed. No, uh, he's just like, it's fine. Okay. I don't care. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're I a think he says something no, it's like, fine. it doesn't really matter how we met. Like, that's it. That, doesn't he matter he how said, it he started. Like, now we're here. So let's right, uh, exactly. go. Uh, yeah, why throw that away? Because I, you, you know, were not honest with me. Some indeterminately, like you said, was it yesterday? Was it last week? It's unclear how this, long it's been. This is yeah, a, that, that another... timing is really the only gripe I have with the movie is that yeah. you don't get a good sense much... of like how how much time lapsed. At the beginning of the movie, they they say at one point like that they think they'll be there for a year or something, mm-hmm. but that's when they expect the theater to be successful and then it's not it's, successful. No, so it timing do well at all. time is time is very squishy in this movie in general. Uh-huh. Um Yeah. That's definitely a case of Ozu's elliptical storytelling coming into focus, but maybe the execution mm-hmm. of it about how much time we're ellipsizing out, um, mm-hmm. not being specific enough. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, the next thing that kind of happens is Komajiro sort of finds out about the son's relationship by like literally walking in on them, just hanging out on the street. He's like, oh, crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically goes on a rampage and verbally and physically attacks both Sumiko and Kayo about what yeah. is going on. So do you guys yeah. have any notes about this part that we haven't got talked some, about already? We've got some anger issues, but we knew that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the one thing that I have written down was that he, he tells uh, Sumiko in this scene before... Um, seeing uh kiyoshi and kayo together is that he doesn't because she keeps threatening that she's going to tell kiyoshi the truth and he says um he can't learn the truth about who his father is or he'd be unhappy and it sort of reminded me of um i was born but and that movie yeah um, if you have if you haven't seen it it's it's about two boys who um do they is it a hunger strike that they do in that one? They do a hunger strike do, in that one, but it or the, about, the, the hunger okay. strike comes at the very end. It's not the main sort of plot of the movie. I think okay. the first well, half the, of it is like them moving in, they have to deal with a bully and yeah, this yeah. neighbor kid um, that kind of sticks up for them, so on and so forth. But they they go on this uh hunger strike because they learn that their father, who they thought was a businessman, is basically like doing a little like videos for his boss where he's acting clownish and like Mm. silly and goofy and they think that he's debasing himself um so they protest against that and that sort of uh parallels with like how komajuro doesn't want kiyoshi to find out about him because he would be like kiyoshi would become like the kids in that where like the father figure instead of being this dead guy who he can imagine was like a good man is instead like a, a the radish actor, actor. A, a, a lowly right, actor yeah. yeah um and sort of that so you mentioned stuff about the sud like at the very end after he he has to finally confront his kid and then there's a confrontation there as nick was talking about yes um like what will the kid think and uh kid doesn't really care much <laughs> at, at, no, le- at least not. about the actor part he obviously cares about like this whole parentage secret sort of thing sure. yeah the lying he and calls them you. very selfish and he's very correct in that mm-hmm. it's a st- astute comment yeah um indeed yeah you guys got anything about this part i don't know 
Not much happens. No, in this I think we movie, talked. But... Well, and we talked. We talked a lot about it. Um, yeah. yeah, and sort of the dynamics that are at, at play here. Yeah, we'll say, uh, don't slap your child, and don't slap uh, the, the other people I, in your life. I did like that. You know, when he's he's slapping his son, and the son's kind of just standing there, like, okay, like you know, he doesn't really react. He doesn't really react until no. he's lashing out um, at the women. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. This is the one sort of problem I have with this movie and the original in general is after these this tirade and his like abusive beating of multiple people that are much more sympathetic in him in the movie. The movie in the end sort of switches to him being like there's this line like let me look forward to such a day where I could come back and things will be okay and he's like looking all positive in the future. I'm like dude you just bruised 3 people. Yeah, the, the it, switch, it kind of implies it, if Nick that was saying, they'll like, get over it. <laughs> there's like not enough time to like the sort of pacing between like the relationship between the two. My biggest issue with the pacing was like it's it's really hard to forgive an abuser like that. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, it's a different era, it's a different time, it's a different culture. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, it felt so quick that I was like, uh, not really gonna roll with that ozu sorry yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's one of those things though where if uh if they were to be like whoa you can't hit a woman like it, it, that's that that's w- that's, that that's problematic <laughs> yeah that's that's problematic behavior and yeah. at best you need to seek therapy <laughs> um like that's I mean, we can all agree that's what they should have said in oh, the sure, right, right. realistic dialogue that, that's what we w- that's what we would want but like <laughs> You would never see that in a movie from I, 1959. I, if you saw that yeah. from a movie now taking place in 1959, you'd be like, what the right. fuck is this? Uh, like, yeah, what is, this doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. that, that's fine, and I get that. But it, it's just more of yeah. like the forgiveness and the let's move on literally minutes to a day after it happened. Like that, yeah. even in that time, it di- didn't feel right. And yeah, but I but I do believe that they sort of like well they'll all get over it. Yeah, like, and, and part of it is cool because down. the troop is disbanded and they're leaving and. I'm fi- sorry. Uh, Dodgers have two grand slams in one game um, after not being able to score any runs for. Uh, I was kind of <laughs> happy for that. You days get on all end. All your run differential up in this one game, and it's fine by me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right, well, they got to do something. I can't get swept by the Brewers. Sorry. So earlier on, AJ Pollock hit a grand slam, and then just now, Matt Beatty hit a grand slam. Anyway, it's the second inning. Um, wow. <laughs> And uh, yes. who, who would have guessed it was those two hitting the grand slam? I know, yeah. right? It's it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, but sorry, that was I was like, oh, something's happening on my phone. Oh, what now? All right, our I, I uh, focused. Our pitcher, who is our number one prospect, a couple years ago, and then like was hurt for a while, but he, he made his debut last year, pitched really well. His name's Tristan McKenzie. He's uh, oh yeah, he's I think six five or six six, and he weighs about one hundred and thirty pounds. He's built like a willow reed. Yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's a floating yeah. weed. Yeah, he's a floating weed, yeah. He, uh, he's he been on, like, he's not stretched out. So no matter what, he's on, like, a, a pitch count anyway. He only pitched two innings yesterday, but he did only give up one hit uh, and struck out six in two innings. Oh, nice. Uh, he also walked four people in a row before allowing his one hit, which was a grand slam. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That's not what, oh, that's, no. when we when we talk about like uh, hit sequencing, and that that's not what you want. That's not the the order you want those things to go in. No, he also walked the seven, eight, and nine batters. Oh, oh okay. 
Which is yeah. not what you want to do. It's not. It's not. Who are you playing? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, uh, division rival, the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, I saw it was against the White Sox. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. One. One. Uh, I will say what. What ended up getting us to put on uh, floating weeds last night was uh, right about the, <laughs> the time Dodger that game. the Dodgers, right about the time the Dodgers put in Clayton Kershaw as a pinch hitter, and then ran out of relievers and had to put poor Mitch White. If you know, do you know who Mitchell White is? Probably no. not. Um, I, I've watched a no number one. of Dodgers games this year. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, you shouldn't. Um, he, he's a, a young guy. He was like a prospect last year, but by the time they brought in, they had Alex Vesia who just was walking the bases loaded for like three innings straight. Do you know who he is? I did not know who he was. Then they pull him, they bring in Mitch White, and they're like, well, that's the last available pitcher, and it's the 11th, so we're going to be riding this out and see how it goes. And then, anyway, the Dodgers lost. <laughs> and we're like, hey, we, we can watch Floating Weeds. I'm in a great mood. Um, but no. But, so luckily, the, the movie actually did put me in a better mood, so that was nice. Yeah. Sorry, baseball diversion over. We're we're almost to the end. I of this don't know because Nick's looking at his phone intently. I'm curious if. Yeah. Oh, I wanted I wanted to, I didn't want to ask something that I could easily look up myself, but yeah, I, I I'm assuming this won't uh, be true after. I'm guessing that the Dodgers will be able to hold on for another seven innings, but uh, oh, it's nine zero. The the Giants are in first place. Uh huh. Yeah, they've been That's in first weird. for a while. Yeah. That's They're almost just, like, worse than the Dodgers being in first place. They've played well. It's embarrassing for the division, I would argue. Um, they um, they they've been playing the Rockies a lot, is what I'm telling myself. Yeah, the uh, very bad. The Yankees are still sub 500. This is a great like time capsule of something that two weeks from now everyone's gonna be like, oh, I remember the good old days when the Yankees remember, were still sucking. Remember the first and, uh, weekend in May? Yeah, exactly. The uh, when they threw the two things at their own teammates because or the fans threw stuff at their own team yeah. because they were pissed. And it's bad been a were. rough start to the season. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, two best teams uh, record-wise in the American League right now are the Red Sox and the Royals, as we all predicted. Royals, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I... and the oh my god, the Twins are nine and sixteen. You hate to see it. <laughs> see, there's there's a bright spot for you. See, Jenny um, Jones is going to listen to that part of the. Podcast. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jenny. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm not 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 a little bit sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the problem was two days ago. The Dodgers intentionally did a bullpen game, and then yesterday Dustin May's arm fell off after two innings, oh, and they yeah. had to do a second. His he's in bad shape. He's in. You should what smile when a promising young baseball player's arm is falling off, Dylan. What happened to him? No, I saw he was like hurt. A, that's like a sad smile, like an anxious yeah. Smile. No, um, I like shooting Dustin pain. May. That sucks. Eh, who doesn't like Dustin May? Um, what a goofball! They just said he's shooting. A they just said shooting pain uh, in his arm, and they pulled him, and he's undergoing MRIs and stuff today. Yeah, so God. not good. Nothing. And yeah. this is after like everybody else is already on yeah. the IL. Like Gonsolin's on the IL. Like there's just there's Victor Gonzalez. There's no pitchers. There's no pitchers. The the Dodgers just signed somebody today I've never heard of. So that's Dustin great. May's uh, probably got one of the biggest gaps in terms of like how actually talented they are to. Uh, I mean, right now he's still young, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. How 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 much I've enjoyed watching him to like. I mean, he's he's fine. He's like what your guys' mm-hmm. number four starter or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and he and he can throw when his arm is working. He can throw. Yeah, he can throw like hundred more miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, the other guys who who like I've watched a lot of like oh you know Jacob Degrom is pitching. I'm gonna put this right. game on. Yeah. 
May May is not quite at a Jake. Well, I guess in terms of speed he is, but mm-hmm. uh, in terms of results he's not at Jacob Degrom. But there have been a ton of times where I'm just like Dustin May is pitching, gonna throw this on because he's yeah. just a blast to watch. He's just fun to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, the Dodgers purchased the contract of left-handed pitcher Mike Kickham. You know, so new Dodgers pitcher Mike Kickham. I don't know who that is. Things are going great over here. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. All right. We're at the end of this movie, what's happening? Yeah. So I <laughs> sorry, would, sorry, Ozu. This is very disrespectful. To, to, to be uh, fair, Ozu. if Ozu could have been distracted Ozu by was, one yeah. thing, it would have been baseball. baseball. That's or fair alcohol. Enough. Those were his two fair favorite enough. things. Fair enough. Um. So. Yeah. So we're talking about sort of the. Uh, the, the the ending, and we're. Yeah, uh, I was saying I didn't like the uh, quick forgiveness. Um, yeah sort of go on from there um damn it i think i had something to mention this sucks that's fine um yeah i don't know that there's much else um really to to talk about. i mean i guess yeah. I, I mentioned earlier that i was saying that i sort of liked that even though everyone's sad like people sort of end up back together i suppose it's probably not great for sumiko that she she she's insistent on they get back together though and that was like my yeah. biggest question is like does she actually want to get back together with them yeah i mean seems to yeah, so. yeah she seems she seems to like him i mean yeah. uh enough um yeah that felt weird too but uh i did like their scene going away on the train just drinking alcohol and i did i did together. too i liked that that final bit on the train yeah everything you do you're feel a little about bit this movie, for... Jen, is just like Osu, Osu's gonna be right up your alley too. So yeah, no, I'm sh- I'm sure I I will definitely catch up with more eventually. Yeah, you do feel bad for Ayoshi, who was like this close to having a companion. Yeah, she is the one person who ends up alone. Now her son is still going to leave, and mm-hmm. her companion is not going to stay after all. <laughs> and the thing she was afraid of is just basically where she is. Yeah, and not to spoil um, other Ozu movies, but that's like what a lot of his All his of movies them? tend to focus on is is how uh, you know the older generation sort of ends up lonely. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Does yeah. seem to be a theme. Yeah, so that's the uh, it's floating weeds. Cool mm-hmm. movie. Any baseball? Yeah, in it? good movie. If this was no almost baseball, any no. other no. Ozu movie, we could have finally gotten another baseball movie crossed off, but. Raj is just picking a weird one with this being the only yeah. Ozu representation in this book. But yeah. glad he liked it. Yeah, it was good. So well, I, good. I'm just going to read the opening paragraph to the essay real yep. quick. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what good. I had to. That's the best part. Yeah. We could we could pick out other quotes that we might want to talk about after that, but it's, it's important. Sooner or later, everyone who loves Musies comes to Ozu. He is the quietest and gentlest of directors the most humanistic, the most serene. But the emotions that flow through his films are strong and deep because they reflect things we care about most. Parents and children, marriage or a life lived alone, illness and death, and taking care of one another. Boom! That's Ozu. Yeah. So, do you guys have anything else that you might want to sort of bring up? No, he's a good director, and uh, people yeah. should watch his movies. All and by people, I mean. Them? By people, I mean Jana. Oh, yeah. I remember what I wanted to bring up. Okay. What? So I'm going to spoil um, A Hen in the Wind, which was my least favorite Ozu movie, as, a, as an example of 
how uh, this like, that one's hard to find it his worst, so I don't feel bad spoiling it. But at the end of that movie, it's sort of like these two people in a relationship together that's struggling. And at the end of the movie, the husband beats the crap out of the wife and throws her down a flight of stairs to the point she gets knocked unconscious at the bottom. Cool, cool. She wakes Shouldn't up do that. and she's like, let's stick together. And again, it's just like, no. Yeah. It's, 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 that's... I mean... He almost killed her. Like, like we've said, this is unfortunately common in all of the movies from that time. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's plenty... I'm, not going to be able to pull a particular example right now, but there's like so many Hollywood movies too, right? Like from the 40s and 50s, what have you, where women get slapped around and then they're like, but I love you. Like, no, it's not great. Yeah. Um, anyway. What's the uh, the Debbie Reynolds movie, the musical, um, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, where she like splits with her husband? I think about this all the time and I don't know why. She splits with her husband um, and like right around like the last thing they do before she like realizes that she loves him is he uh hits her and then says a bunch of racist stuff about native americans and then well, the mo- describe it like that and, okay. and then the, and then the movie like starts to push them back together and i'm like come on like you're debbie reynolds like, you, can yeah. do better. you can do better than this guy it's her and says a bunch of racist stuff about native americans <laughs> that's so bad oh romance um but uh, Janet, yeah. do you have any more quotes that you want to pick through, or is, was that, was was oh, that all no, you guys that, had, really? Um, that no, was the that, one that I had. That was the one, and we already talked about the like the other parts that I'd highlighted. We've already referenced like the the anecdote about him like breaking the rules and crossing the sight lines and being like, eh, no difference. Um, and then the other, Honestly, the only other quote is just. I say yeah, the no. only other quote I had was just from right below um, the part you read where. Um, he says that um, about Ozu, he is wise about the ways we balance our selfishness with the needs of others, like, which is a very succinct, you know, uh, description of what he's doing here. And I think it's interesting, especially in movies like the Noriko trilogy, where and not a lot of movies directed, or not a lot of, like, movies try to do this, but it's like, it's okay to be selfish is sort of the final point of it and and not the whole point but um noriko is a character that's generally very self-sacrificing and very uh puts herself puts others before herself and the ends of the movies are sort of like eh, mm-hmm. sometimes put yourself first girl yeah <laughs> fair enough <laughs> and so that that balance is really i think well struck in a lot of Ozu movies and understanding that sort of thing um this is a great essay i think he focuses on the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he he gives, does. He he describes a lot of the things that happen in the movie and the artistic merit of them. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't get too off topic. Um, he doesn't give us a digression about screening it for students or the first time he saw it in a big theater. I saw this like movie with the ghost of Ozu sitting next to me. We had <laughs> right. a bottle of sake together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm curious. No. The picture that he uses in the book... I can mm-hmm. I cannot figure when that happens in the movie. Yeah, I had that same thought. I was like, is this just a publicity still? Because I I don't when know. When are Sumiko, Kayo, and Kiyoshi 
together like that. Right, and, and she has her hand on her shoulder and then and Sumiko's in the middle. Yeah, I, I had that exact same thought. I was like, I don't remember that in the movie. Yeah, I think it's a behind the scenes. Uh... Yeah, it, it, I literally think it must be a publicity still of some kind. It's a good shot. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's up. gonna be it on Floating Weeds. We gotta rate and review it though. Um, so Jana, number one Ozu. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, oh, thumbs up. Thumbs up, absolutely. Okay, Nick? Thumbs up. And up for me. Although I don't think there's a single as a movie I'd give it down to. But that's even, even that that hen one? The, the movie itself is pretty good in general. It's okay. just the ending <laughs> is like, what the f- fuck? Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, It's a three out of five on Letterboxd. Um, fair enough. Now, Jana, out of four? Um, I'll give it three and a half out of four. I, I, it's my first Ozu. I can't give it four. I gotta leave some room uh, for what about fair. the other that's ones fair. that people that's like fair. even better. Yeah, Nick. That's all. Um, I'm gonna give it a four. It's close because I think I'm not quite five star on this one. But uh, yeah, fuck it. I'll give it a four. Life is short. <laughs> <laughs> As Ozu tells us. Good for you. Uh, and I am exactly with Nick. It's very borderline, and um, I. I switched back and forth between giving it a four and a half or a five on uh letterbox but i gave the first floating weeds you gave it a five didn't you i gave the first floating weeds a four and a half and was like eh this one looks so much damn better than the old one that (laughs) that i guess i'll give it a five but uh it's probably maybe a little bit more of a four and a half uh, it's it would be by far the lowest five star. All all the other fives that i gave in ozu movie i was like 100% no doubt five out of five let's go um So I'll go four, but just barely as well. So that will be it for Floating Weeds. Uh, you guys have some time to talk about what you've seen recently? Yeah, I can do a quick... Uh... Yeah. Let's freaking do it. Nick, what have you seen recently? When did the week start? I uh, cannot do that kind of math in my head. The Nick, the week started when Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor. We, we recorded last week on the 24th. It was the And Saturday. then the Oscars were the 25th. So yeah. So I watched After the Thin Man, which is a sequel to The Thin Man. Uh, A young Jimmy Stewart is in it, so that was fun. Cool. I watched this. I watched The Hand, which is a short-ish Wong Kar Wai movie. Yeah, I did. It was part of of Eros, which is a a trilogy of shortish movies from Wong Kar Wai, uh, Antonioni, and Soderbergh. So this is... The hand is like a slightly longer version for, of of that, but it was good. Rewatched Fallen Angels, which kicks so much ass. <laughs> Evie and I watched Matilda, which is a good movie. Does she that liked kick it. so much ass as well, Nick? Yes, it did. She it was does. a little. She was a little scared of Trunchbull. It's yes. a little scary. It's a. I yeah. mean, it's. Did did Danny DeVito direct that movie as I well? Yeah, as he did. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. his sensibility is like. It's it can be a little intense, um, even for yeah. a kids' movie. If you did start to ask our, because I had to explain like the parents are bad and the teacher is bad, and she said, "Are they bad or being bad?" Which I thought was uh, sort sort of insightful. Oh, no. It's like the the Deep Oprah. It's the Oprah yeah. meme. <laughs> right. Are you oh. silence or being silenced? <laughs> yeah. 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 Are they bad or being bad? Wow. So I had to say they're bad. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, no, they're just bad. Good yeah, job, bad. Evie, though. Like, 
yeah. seriously. Yeah. She also uh, is becoming uh, obsessed with her own mortality, and she believes that people die when they turn a hundred. I thought so I thought it was a hundred when I was Evie's age, a hundred percent. And I remember so reading she's... a book where it was like this person was ninety five, and I was like, oh, they're still young. And my teacher was like, Dylan, they're about to die. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Yeah, so she's worried about turning 100. Okay. Well, she's got a ways to go, so that's yeah, good I'd for her. keep trying to explain that to her. I mean, um, she, she hasn't figured out math yet, but that's, that's all did right. You, did you tell time. her, like, people yeah. die at 70, Evie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. <laughs> no, I'll break that to her when she's a little older. Um, <laughs> what else did I... I watched Ride in the Whirlwind, which is a Monty Hellman Western starring Jack Nicholson, which is cool. it's pretty good. And um, and then I watched Escape in the Fog, which is the first of the uh, indicator has a box set of like Colombian noir movies. This is the first movie from that set. Um, And it comes with a a documentary by the director um, named Bud Boddicker. And the documentary is like a 20 a 20 minute um, short propaganda movie called The Fleet That Came to Stay. And it's just like World War Two naval propaganda that has some pretty cool uh Cool is not the right word. Like compelling or like kind of astounding footage of war from like the naval point of view. Huh. Um, but it's just pure propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Like un- unabashedly a <laughs> propaganda film. Um, but yeah, the, the footage they got for it is kind of remarkable. So that was my week. Jana, what about you? Um, not too much this week. Um, definitely not anything as terribly interesting as you watched. Um, it has been the NFL draft weekend, so we did our annual rewatch of the film Draft Day. Mm-hmm. Um, always, always a fun movie, just a perfectly, like, competent studio movie. Um, it was the first time, and I, so I have a bunch of other friends that always watch Draft Day when it's NFL draft weekend. And my one friend watched it on Thursday and texted me and she's like, um, just take a minute and remind yourself that like Chadwick Boseman's going to show up and then be the emotional center of this movie. And it's like, oh, right. Yep. that That's going to hit different this year. So that was, um, that uh, was fun. He's, he's so good. He's so good in draft day guys. He's, he's really, so really good on it. He's so good on everything. But that's, that's kind of the thing where it's like, he's so good in this movie that like, it's not asking anyone to do anything particularly special, but he's great in it. Um, and then I watched the new Mortal Kombat movie, um, which is pretty bad. Um, <laughs> That's what yeah, everyone's uh, saying. Yeah. I mean, it had some good moments. Um, what's his name? Um, oh my God, I don't want to get his name wrong because he the is entitled to more respect guy from than that. The Avengers. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, yeah. Well, Hiroyuki Sonata. Um, yeah. is really good and it plays Scorpion. Um, I, I think of him as being from Westworld. He's from a handful of different things. Um, he's really good on it. And that's, uh, eh, McCod Brooks is okay as Jax too, but, um, it's, it's pretty much nonsense. Um, it, it basically like is a prequel to a Mortal Kombat movie more than an actual Mortal Kombat movie. And I'm huh. really over, like, I'm just really, they're just, setting up the Mortal Kombat cinematic universe. I mean, basically, I mean to, you know, not to, to rile Nick up here or anything, but like, I am just, it's really, too late. I am just really over movies like making their first. And I, I guess, um, I never saw Warcraft because I mean, like, I, I'll see Mortal Kombat, but you know, I gotta draw a line somewhere, but that <laughs> remember was, I remember that Warcraft being, was going to be a thing. 
when it was like well, supposed to be the next Avatar. I remember that being the complaint about the Warcraft movie is that like literally the Warcraft movie ends spoiler alert for a movie I didn't see and only heard about but I guess like the Warcraft movie basically ends with like a character being born who's the actual main character in the Warcraft universe and that's like kind of what Mortal Kombat does they're like well I guess we got to have a Mortal Kombat now end of movie and you're like what <laughs> what did I just watch what's happening um so it's yeah, you know, it's on HBO Max. If you have nothing better to do with two hours, it's not, like, offensive. It's just kind of blah. I, I had hoped it might be even more worse for, like, a fun, bad movie time. It was kind of whatever. Anyway, that's all. That's what I did with my time this week. Um, so it's Dylan, me now? movies. It's uh, you now. I watched six Ozu movies. Um, so <laughs> Fair enough. There, there's that. Um. But besides Ozu movies, I watched rewatched To Sleep with Anger again. Which best movie ever? It's possible. I it's pretty good. Think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Danny Glover in that movie is just insane. And finally, I'm on the podcast where all three of us have watched it. So I'm yes, very it happy you guys saw good it. Thank movie. you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and the other thing I watched was Ordet late last night which was oh you did <laughs> what'd you think about that ending i believe in miracles since you came along you said something um i'm just gonna edit in the i believe in miracles where you from you sexy thing by hot chocolate <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, uh are, are you are you christian nick no that's a That's very why, Christian uh, movie. Oh, it's I like a lot of movies that are like overtly religious. That's one of them. I think Tree of Life is like that's true. One of the most Christian movies I've ever seen, and that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's I don't know. I don't I don't have to agree with everything the, that's the being is, is like Tree espoused of life in the is, movie. Um, to it's very uh, naturalistic Christian, like sort of an overview concept of like life death and humanity in a sort of faith way um or it was like jesus jesus <laughs> oh yeah like it's it's one of the most religious movies ever made but man it's a good movie it's a very good movie the, it might have been the best movie i've seen all year outside of brighter summer day that movie was fucking awesome not on that vulture list uh, what the hell <laughs> That was the yeah. best or movie that's ending. not. That's surpri- that's actually surprising. Now, do you know the ending of Ordet, Jana? Uh, yes, I yeah, I okay. have I have read about Ordet. I have never watched. You, you know, I, I I've almost always read about these things. So yeah, I've read about Ordet, <laughs> but I've never watched it. Yeah. Um, Sounds crazy. Genuinely, just like gut punchy, emotional of like, wow. Yeah. Um. It was interesting yeah. to see such, and not just like a movie like, I mean, he did Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a very pious movie as well, but it's sort of like a character like reaching out to God and this one, it's like everyone has a different view on God. One person thinks he literally is Jesus itself and like the way- Because he read too much Kierkegaard? No, that was so funny. That movie's very humorous, actually. Mm-hmm. Um and when you were bringing up sort of Brisson, uh, Ozu, and Dreyer in the Schrader book, I think that's a really apt three to use of sort of like very calm, humanistic movies that 
seeing beyond the humans that are just there. Um, no, I loved Ordet. Fantastic movie. Um, do do you like panning your camera from left to right? I've got a movie for you. <laughs> it's anti Ozu in that way. It's just the camera's going like this. But, yeah, but like, uh, it's almost like Ozu, where the camera itself doesn't move. The camera itself just like axes across. But it never, <laughs> and, and they never like dolly it at any point. I think there might have been one or two, but it was just like, let's uh move the camera from left to right and see some people. That that's it. Um, which was always preserving the composition, which I think Ozu liked because that's why he kept his camera still as he wanted to keep the composition correct. Um, yep. So that's it for me. Um, we good. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it. I think we're done. I think we did it. I was going to say, uh, next week is going to be, uh, almost said gates of hell, but, uh, gates of heaven. Gates of heaven. Where can people find Gates of Heaven? I'm we know? looking it right now. Um, Criterion Channel. Oh, great. Have, okay. I think it's all over there. I have a very, very old, beat-up DVD transfer of it from a oh, friend funny. that loved the movie. Um, he gave me that and the Errol Morris movie. I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's called uh, Vernon, Florida. Oh yeah, the Criterion um, is those. It's a box set of those two. Oh. It's not really a box. It's just the disc with both of those on it because they're both. Vernon, Florida is like barely an hour. This one's an hour twenty-five. It looks like. Have you Have you seen Vernon, Florida? Yeah. I... Yeah, yeah. That movie's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird movie. <laughs> I've, so I've heard this is a weird movie. It's Gates of bo- Heaven. Both are mm-hmm. very strange, but um... right, yeah. The 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 only. Um... Have I seen more than one Errol Morris? No, I think I've only seen Thin Blue Line. I don't think I've seen any other Great Errol Morris. So. Yeah, I mean, Thin Blue Li- Line rules, so. Yeah. I think I've seen five. Yeah. Um, I've seen I've seen five and a half, because I've, no, four and a half, because I've never actually seen this one all the way through. So I'm looking forward huh? to. Oh, God. Uh, cool. Um, yeah, so get ready for some weirdness. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Vernon Florida, too. Um Anyway, so that'll do it for us this week. You can find us on Twitter at Ludbox at Great Movies Pod. Um, thank you to our uh, podcast artist Scott Brady for his work. You can find him at, at Twitter at S Brady Artist. And that should be all for this week. Roger out. Roger out. And when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person, that to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. Um, okay. Yep. Looking yep. good. Yep. Well, sorry, I probably should have asked this before we started recording. Um, was I too loud last episode? I felt like my levels were too loud. Like, I felt like my levels were louder last episode than they are normally. I'm like messing around with my mic placement, so... I don't know. Did you notice that no, I, I, on I, editing or Dylan? Okay. Okay. Then I won't worry about it. It was just passion for, for Fargo. Fargo. I guess it's just, I was looking at my, maybe I also just never used to look at my levels and now I do. And I'm overthinking it. Okay. I'm good. Thank you for looking at your levels as we record. <laughs> you know, makes feel a lot better. yeah, good. Don't worry. I am now paying attention. All right. I'm good.
Um, and sort of that, so you mentioned stuff about the son, like, at the very end, after he, well. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. That's a new one. <laughs> Dylan disappeared. <laughs> like, dramatically and suddenly. Doo-doop. I did oh, his, uh, did his feed seem choppy for a second there? It, it didn't even, it didn't to me. It seemed to fine, and then he was just gone. Okay, I thought it was a little choppy, but I, and then I was okay. like, maybe that's mine, because we have, I have, like, fingers crossed, been um, pretty good with internet connection the yeah. last few times since I updated my... Uh, since you got the, the mesh or what have you? Yeah, yeah, it's been much better. Um, so I was like, oh, fuck, it's like, it's finally time. <laughs> like, is it me? No, I, I think it, it seemed fine, but... Oh, okay, I'm waiting to see if he messages yeah, I'm trying to pull although, it up. He, although, like, if his power went out or something, that might be a problem. Oh, yeah. Because that wasn't, like, freezing. That was just, like, disappeared. Yeah, just disappeared. I wonder if he, like, accidentally signed out. Like, just misclicked. Oh. Wait, did you guys? Oh. Wait. <laughs> okay, now I'm all alone. Hold on. Okay. Chaos. Um. I. Oh. I. I just responded to a question that I was asked on a chat out loud. Yes, I am still recording, as you can tell. Hi, Dylan. You can listen to this later. I am exiting out of Zoom. I am restarting Zoom. I have rejoined Zoom. I am sending a new link. Let's try that. You're back. What the hell happened? So you were just gone. You were mid-sentence and you were gone. And it was just Nick and I. And we're like, oh, no. Did Dylan lose power? Like, what was happening with the connection? And then all of a sudden, Nick was gone. And then it was just me all alone. And I don't know what happened. I It just, like, logged me out. Yeah. Going 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 back to whatever my my reaction to Audacity will probably be pretty funny. Because I think I was just like, ah. Yeah. And then I, like... When when you guys were texting about like are you recording I was I was answering out loud I was like yes and I'm like oh they they can't hear me <laughs> I need to type my responses <laughs> it's fine sorry you're gonna have to edit out a bunch of me narrating uh, <laughs> what was happening this is gonna be very yeah fun. you were, I yeah I don't yeah. know what that was what what Zoom is up that was to weird. that's yeah. the first time I've ever had that happen so uh, weird I don't know. Uh, you you were in the middle of saying something very important. Uh, Not that important. I was just transitioning from sort of the part where he's angry at um, the two women for this. It sort of mm-hmm. translates into 